This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. The gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. With Gene and Chris back at the old stand, a little bit later we'll be talking about magic, the occult, H.P. Lovecraft, and his influence on occultists. I'm going to ask also our guest, John Stedman, about Richard S. Shaver and H.P. Lovecraft. Was there a connection with Shaver's Deros? Well, Shaver thought that Lovecraft knew what was going on. We'll get to that later. Meantime, Chris is back after taking a little time off to try to do some real work. In the meantime, last week we have featured, of course, Dr. Robert Davis and Dr. Marie Batchelor, who is a psychic healer. And I kind of feel bad Chris wasn't able to come on the show. I thought he'd have a lot of insights and important questions. As you know, Chris, we've had... Tons and tons of responses, especially because I was kind of critical of the psychic healing and the explanations. Have you run into psychic healing at all in the course of your travels? Yes, I have. Obviously, it's pretty controversial. Uh, I think a lot of it boils down to how much an individual who's suffering from something really wants to be healed. I think the the power of positive uh, thought in terms of one's um, health problem, uh, I think is is absolutely paramount. So half the battle is is you know wanting to be healed. You know, having been here in the Sedona area for almost fifteen years, I worked on several dozen training seminar videos, uh, all different sorts of presentations um, dealing with about every modality that you can possibly think of including soaking your feet and pulling all your toxins out of your out of your balls of your feet. <laughs> well, you know, is that what she was talking about when she said about vibrations coming through my feet when she subjected me to one of her Skype-based psychic healings? Was that what it was about? Well, yeah, your your feet can be used very effectively uh, to pull toxins out of the body. And, you know, once you've been around a lot of this type of kind of alternative health information and and stuff for as long as I have. You, you get a little jaded about some of it, but I, I think there's something to it. I, I think I've seen, um, uh, just to give you an idea of, of, of a way that you can, at least I was able to demonstrate the effectiveness, uh, for instance, of chamomile flower essence. My girlfriend in Boston had fallen in love with this lop-eared rabbit, so she bought this dang rabbit, which... I told her not to name it because we were going to end up eating it, and she immediately named it. But then we had to rename it because it started doing laps around the coffee table, and it just—excuse me, yeah, it was doing laps around the coffee table, boinky, 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 and it did this for days. It wouldn't stop. So, you know, it was a lop. So we had to call him. (laughs) We renamed him Lap. Lap the lop. It was just finally, it was just driving me nuts. This thing was going to, you know, die from exhaustion. So 
we took a little bit of flower essence and rubbed it on its nose, you know, chamomile, which is supposedly going to be calming. And we put some in the in the water and uh, he just sat there for a second and never did another lap. <laughs> so uh, lap learned uh, how not to um, do laps. You had not a lap dog, but a lap rabbit. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting here. Our dog, Teddy Bear, whom you know, he's hung around you. Bichons are known to do that kind of thing where suddenly they'll start scurrying or doing laps around the room at a very fast pace. But they only do it for a few seconds at a time. It's like our dog wants to be the Flash or something. Right. But it has to be in a certain kind of playful mood where it just gets so excited it has to let off steam. That happens maybe every few days. I should really take a picture of it and put it up in the forums. I think people might like it. In any case here, what I'm seeing from what you're telling me about psychic healing, it's not the practitioner so much, except insofar as they put you into a state where you can let your own abilities, whatever they are, mind Um, over matter, whatever, engage in advancing the healing process. Well, I think it, I think a lot of it does boil down to being open for healing, but I don't. I think uh, the practitioner has a lot to do with it as well. Uh, to to take it to the next level, you need a practitioner who is well versed in the particular modalities that they're you know operating with, and and there are many different ways to you know look at a particular health issue. Um, it can be looked at from many different ways uh, from many different perspectives utilizing the knowledge and educational awareness of many different modalities so you know i think some are more suited for certain types of maladies others are i think more suited for others so there you go but again it requires some input from the practitioner is it simply putting you in the proper state of mind to allow healing to commence well, it depends. It depends on on what it is that um, is being done. Um, number one, uh, I think in in some cases um, where stuff is potentially psychosomatic, yeah, I think it's really important to get to get that kind of um, um, mindset going, and. Uh, I think that's that's really important. But again, uh, it, it's I think a lot of it's hinging on exactly what uh, what it is that you're attempting to accomplish uh, in terms of healing. So yeah, um, I, I will be interested to um, to listen to the show. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but uh, thanks to um, Erica. Uh, well, actually, I don't think Erica. Helped you with the show, did she? I think she was on the um, after the. She was on after the Paracast. I would right. have loved to have her on. I think she's one of our best guest co-hosts. She's really masterful at the way she does it because she's a counterpoint to me. I'm the skeptical journalist, and she probes very gently. And I think she works that way with either of us, and I think it was good. But she wasn't available for that. Mm-hmm. She was available for after the power cast when I gave my observations. My concern here is that not that Marie Bachelor is not a nice woman, and you know we know that she went 
through tragedy because her four-year-old child was struck by a vehicle and she witnessed that it has to be the worst thing that happens in your life and I guess underwent this kind of epiphany or revelation in the years following and I guess she was trying to refine herself again and she got into this. My problem with it is that when she tries to explain what's going on, it's just word salad. As if she really doesn't know, and I don't think a lot of people do, they try to find an answer. She can say it's vibrations and higher beings. Others can say they're in touch with someone's dead relative or with God or something else. I don't think those explanations have any meaning. I don't think they matter in the scheme of things, why it happens. But certainly if someone can put you in a state where you can relax and it helps the healing process. I see nothing wrong with that. Because I think if a person lacks the will to live, especially if they're very sick, all that will do is make it more difficult for them to recover. I can tell you some stories about my late brother-in-law when he was in Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale. And the way they treated him in his last days was, I thought, reprehensible. But I don't want to get into the politics of that. You know, I wish that on nobody, even the people I hate. Well, maybe there are a couple of people I'd worry about. In any case, we mentioned after the Paracast, which is part of our Paracast Plus package, you get it exclusively if you subscribe to Paracast Plus at plus.theparacast.com. That's P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com. We'll talk more about that later. Right now we have... Coming up, John L. Stedman. He's author of a book called H.P. Lovecraft and the Black Magical Tradition. More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Injuryhelpdesk.com is responsible for this advertisement. Principal Office, Las Vegas, Nevada. Attention. If you or a loved one had a total or reverse shoulder replacement between 2011 and 2016 and suffered serious complications, including dislocation and loosening, you may be entitled to substantial compensation. Evidence indicates that these devices can dislocate and loosen, causing severe pain and may require additional revision surgery. If you 
or a loved one had a total or reverse shoulder replacement and suffered a dislocation and loosening requiring a revision, call 800-598-0696. If you or a loved one had a total or reverse shoulder replacement between 2011 and 2016 and suffered serious complications, including dislocation and loosening, you may be entitled to substantial compensation. Time is limited to file a claim. Act now. For more information and a free consultation, call 800-598-0696. That's 800-598-0696. Again, that's 800-598-0696. Call now. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. Hey, diabetics. Yeah, you. Got a spare hour to waste going to the pharmacy to get your insulin or other meds and supplies every month? I didn't think so. Me either. I've got life going on, which is why I use PillPack. PillPack is an amazing online pharmacy. They package up all my diabetic meds and testing supplies into daily doses and send it to me every month automatically. All I do is pay my normal copay. PillPack does the rest. I'm serious. This is a free service. They don't even charge for shipping. PillPack handles all the medical insurance stuff and even get what my doctors for my other prescriptions so I don't have to, which is good because that's the stuff I forget. But PillPack remembers everything. They even package up my daily vitamins so I remember to take them too. If you're diabetic, your meds and supplies are life and death, which means you need PillPack. Call right now for this free service. You may even qualify for $25 in free vitamins. 800-560-7310. That's 800-560-7310. Again, 800-560-7310. Many medicines used to treat colds and flu contain acetaminophen, a pain reliever and fever reducer found in hundreds of over-the-counter and prescription medicines. But taking too much or more than one medication containing acetaminophen per day can damage your liver. So always read the label and don't take acetaminophen if you drink three or more alcoholic drinks every day. To learn more, visit fda.gov slash otcpaininfo. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Food and Drug Administration. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. So I should say here that we ran to a few Skype glitches, but we are finally talking to our guest, John L. Stedman is author of H.P. Lovecraft and the Black Magical Tradition. And I noticed the name of the publisher, Red Wheel Weiser, is that a descendant of the original Samuel Weiser bookstore? Yeah, it sure is. You know, when I was a young kid going to uh, undergraduate university at Michigan State University, they were the number one New Age publishers. They didn't call it New Age publishing back then. They called it a cult or magic, but uh, that's a descendant of that original Samuel Weiser. I have a ton of books in my library from the 70s that they put out. Well, even before then, I would visit their store in New York City. i go to the basement, and they had all the closeout books there. You know, I couldn't afford as a teenager to spend, you know, $15 for a book or something like that. So for $2, 
I buy a new UFO book. Or for maybe three, four dollars, I buy a magazine. And I kept myself abreast of all the power and all the subjects. And I basically, instead of doing homework sometimes, after school, I'd run over there for a couple of hours and hang. Gosh, you know, I wish I could have had access to a place. I used to have to drive to Ann Arbor. They had a New Age bookstore in Ann Arbor, and they carried all those books there, you know. But it would have been nice to actually have that bookstore or the Magic Child bookstore they used to have in New York City in the 60s. You know, I would have loved to have been uh, able to go into places like that. I think it's still there. Uh, is it really? Magic Child? Ma- the Magical Child, yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure it I'll is. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. I thought they went out of business a long time ago, you know, with, uh, I think, what was his name, Barnes, the guy that used to run it. I, I thought they went out, like, in the 60s, but if it's no. still there, I'm very I'm No, very it was still going in that. the 80s. I know oh, that. I, I lived in New York till 87. They were there till, okay. the, till the mid to late 80s, at least. Magical Child Bookstore, 35 West 19th Street, New York, New York, between yeah. Fifth Avenue and Avenue of the Americas. Yeah, it was wow. in my own neighborhood. It's still there, right? It's still there, it says. Pretty niche, you know. Barnes & Noble's not going to put a, an operation like that out of business. Uh, they're just they're too many rare books and, and books that really don't have <laughs> a wide appeal. <laughs> but that must have been fun. So how did you get involved in looking into the works of H.P. Lovecraft? Because I see here you kind of started much the way I did as a fan of horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. So yeah, did you ever have any interest in the start. occult at that point, or did this come after you got interested in Lovecraft? Well, what I was, I was always interested in things like monsters and ghosts and supernatural things when I was a kid in uh, elementary school and in uh, middle school, too. And I used to uh, read uh, books like Famous Monsters. You remember Famous Monsters of Filmland? I used to collect oh, that. And, okay. All right. You I, read Famous Monsters of Filmland, Forrest J. Ackerman, the editor. He came to my home but one I time. Used... Oh, did he really? Wow. Oh, yeah. He came to my home one time. This had to be in the early or mid-1960s. And what he did is he was taking a trip around the country. And he'd visit the home of readers. And he'd choose from among those who wrote him. So I said the right things. I was living in Brooklyn, New York. And I set up the place to have you know, lunch. We had five or six people invited over. And I set up a table in the living room like a talk radio studio with multiple microphones and a pair of tape recorders. So I actually taped the thing. I don't have the tape anymore, folks. Sorry. You would have loved to have heard me when I was 17 years old. Or maybe you wouldn't. I have no idea. (laughs) But I got to know Forrest J. Ackerman there, and I met him on a few more occasions. I never visited the Acker Mansion, though, in L.A. Boy, what a memory. As you get older, you'll see this. Well, a friend of the show, Paul Davids, uh, recently was part of a ceremony to name a boulevard in L.A. after him. And they just had a celebration of his life. Well, that's how I got into, you know, the monster magazines. And then I kind of uh, would read horror stories. I liked Edgar Allan Poe and uh, writers like that. And I kind of just gravitated toward Lovecraft by accident. I was at a bookstore and there was this paperback that had like a red skull on the cover that looked like it was on fire. 
uh, dark background. It, it was a fiction of H.P. Lovecraft. I never heard of him before, but I uh, bought the book mainly because of that cover. You know, I figured the book, the stories had to be really good if they had a cover like that. Back at that time, I was reading a lot of horror and, and ghost stories, and they didn't really affect me that much because you get kind of desensitized to them. But I remember the first time I read The Color Out of Space, and it gave me chills up and down my spine. And that was like when I was in middle school. It was a beautiful sunny day when I was reading that, you know, and I figured that this must be the real thing if it can have that kind of an effect on me, you know. So then I was hooked on Lovecraft. And then from there I gravitated toward the occult, as people probably do when they get into the magic and the, or the supernatural and the ghosts and horror first, and they kind of move toward the more new age sort of thing because they want kind of hands-on experience, I guess, with the occult. They don't just want to read about it. Now, of course, obviously, most of our listeners know that Lovecraft was a writer of fiction, so how does the trip go from being interested in a fictional writer to looking at magic, the occult, in terms of fact? Well, I, you know, it's kind of, it seemed like a natural progression to me to do that, you know, but I don't know. I guess there's, I, I guess there are fans out there that just like the science fiction and horror and they don't feel the need to go that, go to that different level there, that different direction. But I did for some reason, so I really can't compare it to anything. I can't really analyze why I went that direction, why other people went other direction, but I, I did. <laughs> I just went that direction, basically. I think a lot of the things that helped me in that direction were that I kept seeing Lovecraft being associated with the occult for some reason. Like, back in those days, you had the Satanic Bible. Do you remember the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey? Sure. In the... Uh, 1966, he declared the, the age of Satan, and then the Satanic Bible came out, and then the Satanic Rituals came out, and he had a section in the Satanic Rituals on Lovecraft, the metaphysics of Lovecraft, and there were rituals in there. And then you would see stuff on TV, like they used to have this night gallery TV show, remember that, Rod Serling did after the Twilight Zone. And they had a couple, yeah, well, they had a couple uh, vignettes on Lovecraft and Clark Aston Smith, and so it all kind of seemed to be part of the whole same thing, you know, so then there was rituals being done, and then, of course, Simon's book came out, Simon's Necronomicon came out, so it kind of seemed like other people were kind of associating Lovecraft with occultism, and I was seeing Lovecraft being associated with occultism. I guess it must have been all those things together that kind of moved me in that direction, but I really don't know. I've never really analyzed why I've been fascinated with magic and new age themes. Did you actually ever have any experiences yourself that were paranormal or UFO related? Yeah, I did. Uh, now, I did get into magic. What I'm doing now is putting together a magical grimoire for the last 30 or so years. We see various rituals over those periods of time, then perform them with my magical assistants. And I'm putting together a grimoire of all those rituals now. That'll be my third book. My two main books so far is this one that you've got that I sent you that's been published, and I've got a follow-up book to this where I explore Lovecraft's development, what I call the, the magical persona, and I show how he was influenced by former writers toward that, and then how his view of the magical persona is quite a bit different, quite a bit more complex, and then how that's inspired future generations. We have John Stedman on H.P. Lovecraft, Magic, the Occult, and more. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. <laughs> are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. 
The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Hunters, anglers, campers, and survivalists. Get back to nature. Expand your horizons with the highest quality, most versatile, unique slingshots and slingbows on the market at slingbow.com. Slingbow products are compact and models start from just $17.98. They're perfect for your bug out bag or storing in your vehicle. Give yourself and your loved ones the excitement and tradition of slingbow. A new frontier in archery and truly modern twist on this primitive survival tool. Feel the thrill only at slingbow.com. Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change? See them at 5starsoap.com or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Cal Bend Soap Company can save you thousands of dollars and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoap.com. Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com, and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333.
This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. As you see, Chris adopts a very under-earth kind of voice for that stinger. Uh, John Stedman joining us, and he's telling us about his early interest in H.P. Lovecraft, the fiction, and then, of course, navigating to the facts. And then we're getting into your personal experiences, which you can go on with. Okay, well, I've had a lot of magical experience, and I'll be in the grimoire, of course, and we'll talk about that later or not at all. But I'll talk about my things. I guess I had two experiences that were magical because I didn't actually... I wasn't in any kind of intellectual decompression situation where I was actually creating there and making it available. So these happen just the way they would happen to just any normal person. It's not a magical practitioner. So I have to assume that they're paranormal. One of them's paranormal and one of them's UFO. The uh, paranormal one is kind of weird. I, we used to go up to Clare, Michigan, and we'd stay at this cottage on Lake 13. And I remember... Uh, this only happened up there, but my mom and dad were both alive then. And what we do, there were like two bedrooms there, and one bedroom had two beds, and my dad would sleep in one, I would sleep in the other. And then the other bedroom across, the these all kind of led on the main living room. And then in the other bedroom, my twin brother would sleep in that, and then our grandparents would sleep in the other one. And my mom, there was no place for her to sleep, so she'd sleep on the sofa in the living room. Now, it was a very big living room. It would get fearfully dark at night up there. They didn't have any street lights or anything like that. She would lay down on that sofa there, and she would fall asleep. And this was really weird. This only happened to me each in the evenings when we were living there. But everybody would be asleep, right? And I'd be sleeping in the bedroom. And for some reason, I would always wake up sometime after midnight. I'd just always wake up. And then I would go to the foot of the bed, and I'd look out into the living room. And I'd see my mom laying there on the sofa. I'd see her shape. Now, there was like a night light in there, so you could, it was very dim. You couldn't see anything, but you could just make out shapes. But then it was really weird. I'd be watching her. And then suddenly it seemed like she was getting out of her body or something. It was her getting out of the body, and I could see like a kind of a bright white outline around the shape of her, but I could see through the shape of her. And she, what she would do is she would she'd leave the sofa, and she'd go over to a rocking chair. There was a rocking chair out there in front of the fireplace. And then she would start to rock. Her shape was still there, but then this was simulacrum or what, whatever it was, was rocking in the rocking chair. And then uh, I'd be watching it, and then suddenly she would notice me, and then she would start walking. She would get up and start walking toward me with her arms out. And she had a really, I could see through her, but she had a really evil or kind of weird look on her face, one that I'd never seen when she was awake. It used to terrify me, you know, and then I'd go back and lay down. And what she would do, she'd walk like up to the door of the room, and then she would disappear, and she'd be back in a rocking chair. And one time I felt unusually brave, and so instead of going back to bed, I actually got up, and I, she saw me, and then she was walking toward me. I walked right toward her. I was actually trembling. I was scared to death. I was about 13 years old, and I was walking toward her, and then when I, we almost met, she disappeared. She wasn't anywhere in the room, but the rocking chair was still moving. And then I walked over to the rocking chair, and I reached out and put my hand on it, and then it stopped. 
And now I wanted to test that one time. I was thinking, well, maybe I'm just imagining this. And so one night I changed beds with my brother. And my brother's room was looking out into that living room also, but from a little different angle. And he never would wake up, of course. He would sleep like a rock when he fell asleep. So he was in my old room, and I woke up one night, and it was the same time as usual. I woke up the same time after midnight, and then I saw her out in the chair again, but I was seeing her from a different view, like she was sitting at an angle. And then I saw her walking toward the room. Now, you'd think if it was imaginary that she would walk directly toward me because I was imagining it, right? But she didn't do that. She was walking directly toward that room. I saw her from the side view, and then she would disappear. And this would happen quite frequently when we went on vacation up to Lake 13. Never happened anywhere else. I never saw anything like that again. And I don't know if it's paranormal because she wasn't dead. You could say maybe it was like an astral body or something or a projection. Whatever it was, I guess I'd have to consider that to be a paranormal. It's certainly a paranormal experience. I don't know if the ghost hunters would call it that, but that's what I call it. Chris, you want to ask something? Maybe she had some sort of spectral evil twin that didn't survive the birth process or something. Well, I don't know where it was. She was a very nice woman, you know, but that was my, uh, that I guess what I'd have to call a paranormal experience. I did have a UFO experience up in Clare, Michigan, too. This was during the UFO craze when I was in high school, just in my last year of high school. You want to have time to talk about that? Sure, you know, oh, we, we got plenty of time. Okay, well, this was an odd experience. My brother was into UFOs. He read all the books. You know, remember those books? You mentioned you drop, you drop into the uh, the Wiser bookstore and pick up a book on UFOs or a magazine. Well, you remember the kind of books they had back then. They had, like, Frank Edwards, something about flying saucers. They had uh, Adamski's books about saucer contact. The Interrupted Journey, I think, with Barney Bayhill. They had those kind of books out. You know, my brother was really interested in UFOs, and he had a good friend that was interested in UFOs, too. Yeah, well, we were out there at uh, the swampy area, and we were just driving around, and then suddenly my friend had one of those original little Volkswagen things. Remember those things? You know, they were really terrible on the highway. They'd really shake when you got up to about 60 miles per hour, but we were That's riding around. That's the Volkswagen Beetle, right. And we... Uh, there was suddenly something in front of us, and it was like hovering along the ground. Now, it was kind of misty out there, and we couldn't really see it, uh, but it was hovering, and it was moving as fast as we would. Like, we would move, and it would move at about the same speed, and it definitely wasn't like a motorcycle or a bike or a car or anything like that. Uh, it had like a, a little row of lights, but it was just a little bit off the ground, like maybe four feet off the ground, and it was just hovering there. And so we started chasing the thing, and we we could never catch up to it. We'd uh, go so far, and uh, it would just keep pace with us. It had perfect control of itself, you know, so we couldn't catch up with it. When we increased our speed, it would increase its speed when we slowed down. So it just kind of stayed even with us. And then at one point, my friend was driving, my brother's friend, and he stopped the car. And then he got out. We all got out of the car, and we left the lights on. And he had a flashlight, and so he walked to the front of his car, and then he kind of flashed his light. He clicked it like twice, the flashlight. And then the thing blinked twice. And then he tried it three times. And it did the same thing. It, it blinked three times. And then he wanted to try something different. So he kind of spun the, it was one of those old-fashioned uh, 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 flashlights they used to have. And then he spun the, la the light around. And then it suddenly made a whirring sound, you know. So I guess that was his, its equivalent of what he was doing. But then we got back in the car and then we were trying to pursue it some more, but then it kind of vanished. And then I went back home. They dropped me off. We were staying at a hotel, and they dropped me off at the hotel. And when they came back, 
they were driving up and down the roads for another hour or so, but there was nothing else there. So I guess I'd have to say that was like a, a UFO experience. At least it was an unidentified flying object, that's for sure, you know, but there's no explanation for that at all. Now, I can't now what year is this, 60s? No, this this was, yeah, around, uh, uh, actually around 72, 71 or 72. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there was quite a bit of activity in the upper Midwest uh, in um, 71, 72, and then it all just exploded in 73. Yeah, I don't know. I, those two things, that little ghost thing of my mom and uh, the UFO, I, those are the only two experiences I've had that could be classified as paranormal or UFO, and I have no explanation for uh, any of those, you know, so I don't know if that's of any interest to your readers or not. I don't know what any of it means, but uh, it was certainly interesting. <laughs> Just having an experience is enough for some people, even if it's only one or two, that's more than most people have. And certainly your UFO experience is a lot more than most people who even see UFOs have. Mostly it's just a light in the sky that does nothing. Fact is, the closest thing I ever saw to a UFO must have happened sometime in the 1960s. And once again, I saw a light in the sky and it seemed to be moving slowly and then it seemed to speed up before it disappeared. But there was nothing distinctive enough there to indicate this was anything but something conventional. Yeah. Well, what it's done for me, it's it's opened my mind. You know, of course, all my magical experiences have opened my mind even further, but it's opened my mind. You know, I'm perfectly willing to accept anything. You know, I if a person can give me some, uh, if they're telling the truth and they're giving me some, uh, they're, they're being accurate about or being honest or objective about, you know, I can believe it. You know, I'm not, I've never, want, I don't see the point of closing your mind to things. I have never understood that. We have more to come with... John Steadman and Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands, and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement, and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. 
Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP hardened generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. Imagine what it's like to be active your whole life and then find out you're going blind. That's what happened to me. I have age-related macular degeneration, or AMD. As a wife, mother, and grandmother, my sight is precious to me. What a relief when I found out that treatments for some forms of AMD are available and that research is underway on additional preventions and treatments. AMD is the leading cause of vision loss in people 55 and over. When I started seeing blurry spots in the middle of my eye, I saw my doctor. She suggested I review the prevention and treatment information on fightblindness.org. Did you know that some forms of AMD can be slowed down or stopped and in some cases reversed if found in time? Get more information about preserving your vision. Call the Foundation Fighting Blindness today at 1-800-BLINDNESS for a free packet on reversing or managing AMD. Or go to the website where I found so much helpful information. Fightblindness.org. 1-800-BLINDNESS. 1-800-254-6363. Or fightblindness.org. You've been hearing Dr. Wallach talking about 90 essential nutrients, keeping the body healthy. GCNteam.com now has Beyond Tangy Tangerine Tablets, 60 plant-derived minerals, 16 vitamins, 12 amino acids, packed in a powerful tablet. But that's not it. 160,000 auric points, a knockout punch to free radicals. Call 877-878-4203 or go to GCNteam.com. That's 877-878-4203. Hi, this is Bryce Abel. I'm the producer of Dark Skies, the co-author of AD After Disclosure, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We'll join John Stedman talking about the magic of H.P. Lovecraft and his personal experiences, magical UFOs. And all that in a moment, I want to mention again our second radio show after the Paracast, available only if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus. For more information, go to plus, P-L-U-S dot theparacast.com. That's plus dot theparacast.com. We also give you a commercial free version of this show and other benefits. I'm going to be putting up some more of those classical episodes from 2010 and later ad free over the next few weeks. So that's going to be interesting. Plus.thepowercast.com. Prices start just $1.49 a week. How about that? So we're talking here about the experiences that set John Stedman on an interesting path. And you mentioned multiple magical experiences. Can you tell us some more? 
Yeah, I can go into that very easily. By the way, this book is designed for fans of science fiction, horror, and fantasy who really have heard a lot that Lovecraft may be a practicing magician or an unconscious magician or whatever, and that he might have been involved in the occult. And this book was written specifically to address that issue. And uh, what I like about the book is it not only explains what Lovecraft knew and how much he knew about magic, and it clears the record, so to speak, but it also actually gives you a real, and I've had a lot of people People uh, email me about this or talk to me about this, where uh, the latter half of the book, I look at his influence on the main Western black magical systems. Yeah, but I wanted uh, to ask you about your experiences first, and then we can go more into the book, okay? Yeah. Well, my experience is when I first started out with magic, I was in high school, and I did pretty conventional rituals. I would do them just like all those old grimoires, like the Key of Solomon. They had pretty set rules about how to do magic, how to set up the circles, how to make the kinds of weapons that you use, the wand, the sword, the cup, and the pentacle. And then they have different evocations or invocations. And I used to do those things. I would do them, and I would get the results I was supposed to get. I remember I did an uh, evocation of Bartzabel one time. Bartzabel is a spirit of Mars. It was an outdoor temple, and it was all set up the way you'd expect it to be set up to kind of appeal to the Martian kind of atmosphere. And we, I had two magical assistants with me, and these are the same assistants that I used for my more Lovecraftian rituals, too. But I started out with the more standard Western rituals, and we actually did evoke the spirit of Bartzabel. I mean, it appeared in the tribe triangle like it was supposed to and uh, we could actually communicate where we could all see it and stuff but what bothered me about this experience with Bartzabel is that it was like a stage kind of a thing you know it appeared just the way I thought it would appear it did the kind of things I thought and I kept thinking in the back of my mind gee is this an actual real entity that I'm in touch with here is this just something I create in my mind I kind of brought out and I really could not answer that question and I wasn't really quite satisfied with the magical results it didn't seem genuine to me and then uh a couple of years later, I started using the Lovecraftian rituals. I was inspired by uh, Anton LaVey's rituals. And then I started writing my own rituals, my own inspirational rituals. And then when we, I started working with those rituals, it was quite a difference. You know, I had no doubts when I did my own rituals that I was actually in touch with something that was just not a projection for me. There was something out there. Now, whether I could actually understand what I was seeing or not, or whether my perceptions were just clouded, by the way I've been conditioned to see things. I don't know about that, but I had immediate conviction that what I was doing was actually hooking up to actual extraterrestrial or or supernatural or or supranatural, however you want to describe it, interdimensional, however you want to describe these entities. I had no doubt that I was actually in touch with things that were not just projections inside me. And then at that point onward, I just worked with the Lovecraftian entities. Okay, so the point being here is you're not assuming any particular explanation for this stuff? You're just saying, this is what happened and I don't know. Well, I can't really, because there's no way to empirically prove, I can't really prove the ontological existence of anything that I deal with. You know, I really can't. There's no, we don't have any mechanism for measuring that. We don't have any mechanism for measuring magic, you know, whether magic works, you know, so I can't really account for it. Now, uh, magical practitioners have their own theories about what's going on, and a lot of them claim that you're, you're doing something on the astral plane, you're manipulating ether, or you're accessing through kind of a pseudo-time, you're accessing accessing things that already exist on the astral plane, like gods, demons, or spirits, or or something like that. And they can have any kind of explanation they want for this kind of thing. The problem is that there's no way to empirically verify. 
Yeah, so I can't really prove anything that's happening. You know, so I try and leave my uh, definitions of what I think is going on. Just I kind of leave it at the door, basically. And what I'm interested in is if I do a magical experience and I gain some kind of knowledge or power, which is what gnosis is, magical experience, uh, and then I have some kind of outcome or some kind of result, you know, then that's all I really care about. It's like when you go and you turn on the switch, the electric switch, right? You don't have to know circuit breakers or what goes on on the lines outside your house or A, B, or D, C circuits or whatever nonsense like that. All you want to do is turn the switch on. If the lights come on, that's your objective, right? Well, that's the way I've been viewing magic over the years. You know, if I get some kind of result and I'm satisfied with it, then I'm fine with that. Now, obviously, people who have heard about what magicians can do may see magicians at work on fictional TV shows like Once Upon a Time. Or The Magicians, which is an interesting TV show. I think what he's referring to is actually uh, practicing high magic in the Western esoteric tradition. What I'm saying to you is you have TV shows here that pretend magic, people altering their realities, creating spells, that kind of thing. Magicians do that sort of thing. We do spells. We do spells, and those are for immediate results. The only difference is usually in those magical shows. Now, I haven't watched The Magicians. But I've watched like shows. I saw Doctor Strange, yeah, that that movie, Doctor Strange, right. the other day. That is an interesting movie, but that's very similar to a lot of the magical movies too, because that one they actually do manipulate the astral plane, so they're actually uh, and they can op- manipulate time. They can't really manipulate real time because there is no such thing as real time. I mean, we all live in the present. We can think about the past or the future, but we can't really go there. We have to go into some kind of pseudo time, and they kind of hit that a little bit in Doctor Strange. They have like little different dimensions like the mirror dimension and stuff and then he does manipulate time at the end of it and so magicians do cast spells and they do those sorts of things but you notice the thing they always leave out of it and this is central to magical practice and they always leave this out of those kind of magic movies or TV shows and the Harry Potter ones too I mean they do spells there and sometimes they put them in kind of Latin and they wave the wand so it's kind of similar but they always leave the extraterrestrial entities out and those are actually the engines or the fuel of the magical ritual. I define magic as the use of language, gestures, symbolic objects, and stylized settings for achieving contact with extraterrestrial entities. Well, first of all, let's look at that definition of magic. I, I think the, the accepted, I guess, definition, at least in my experience, would be magic is causing change and conformity to will. Yeah, that's Alistair Crowley's definition. And you know what's funny about that? Alistair Crowley does say that, but think about that definition for a minute. He's saying change it to conform your will. Like right now, I'm picking up a piece of paper, right? So it's my will to pick up the paper, and I've changed it. I picked up the paper. I could crumble the paper up, right? So when I pick up a paper and crumble it up, I'm affecting change and conformity to your will, right? That's a very broad definition. And secondly, if you look at Aleister Crowley, despite that definition, when he did magic, he was always interested in achieving contact with extraterrestrial entities. That was the engine for all of his magic. That's where the Book of the Law came from. That fueled all of his magical powers. Let's talk about Lamb, the first depiction of a a gray, big-headed 
gray alien, I think, would be uh, the sketch that he drew in nineteen. 19- lamb, yeah, lamb. I I didn't catch it from it. Yeah, lamb. Some people associate that with Alistair Crowley's higher self or holy guardian angel. But look at that. Like he conjured, he says the first thing, and he has a very narrow definition in the book Magic. By the way, despite the change in conformity of will, if you read further into that book, his definition is so the primary magical ritual is to achieve contact with your higher self, or he called it the holy guardian angel. That's an extraterrestrial entity. And you'll find that all magical practices, I don't care who they are, they could be chaos magicians, they could be voodoos, they could be Typhonian people, they could be the Wiccans, they could be any number of different magical groups of Satanists. It always boils down to achieving contact with some kind of extraterrestrial entity. This is more than I usually expect when we have a discussion of this nature. Okay, you're yeah, talking I, about extraterrestrial entities, in which case let's source this and see why you think this is so. And let's do that in our next segment, okay? Because this is okay. obviously going to be a wide-ranging kind of subject here. We're talking to John yeah. Stedman, and he's got a fascinating book about magic. But now he's telling us when you get involved in magic, you're in touch with... E.T., more to come with Gene uh, well, and Chris. You're in. Yeah, let's. John, let's Chris has yeah. to end it. With Gene and Chris, you're in. The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com. Virtual care anywhere. We use cell phones against our heads every day. But now, a landmark U.S. government study confirms increased health risks from exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The time to protect yourself is now. The solution is Defender Shield. Proudly made in the USA, Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation emitted from cell phones, tablets, and laptops. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. Use discount code DEFENDER for 10% off. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in EMF radiation protection. Yeah! 
Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Okay, so when you call out a magical spell or try to access this power, you're calling on ET? Please explain. Yeah, okay. Well, I keep that definition very open, too, and I try and keep it open in that book as well. What I mean, I, I want to have the broadest interpretation of what I mean extraterrestrial. And I know what you think when you think extraterrestrial. You think of something, some ontological creature that's of some kind of form and substance, at least it's kind of compatible to our own, and dwelling on some other planet. And then the Lovecraftian theme in a lot of his stories where these alien beings colonized the Earth in the past, and they're still living here in, hidden in a remote place, and they actually she kind of jump-started the evolution of mankind. That's where the whole alien astronaut theory got started. By the way, it got started with Lovecraft. People like Eric Von Daniken and then Pauline Berger, who were two Frenchmen. Well, there, were, there were others. There were others. Not only... There were others. Labrinzi, uh, Laporte Trench, you know, even, geez, Churchwood, looking at the Maya. Yeah, you know where it started out? Lovecraft stuff was written like in the... Uh, Late 20s and the 30s, he died in 1937. He has a lot of stories like the Call of Cthulhu, Shadow of Time, where he actually talks about alien astronauts. And this was picked up by two guys named Paulet and Berger, Frenchmen in the 60s, and they published The Morning of the Magicians. And they're the mm-hmm. first people to actually formally postulate that alien astronaut theory. And then these other guys picked it up, like Robert Chirot did Life of the Masters of the World. That was in 1967, I think, and popularized it. And then Eric Von Daniken came along in 71, he popularized everything. And what's interesting about him in the introduction to that book, he mentions that he's trying to answer questions posed by those people, those right. other people that I mentioned. So that started everything. Then you have Robert Temple coming along with a serious mystery. And then, of course, you did have Churchward, and then you have the Moo, the Moo and all those kind of, the Lannis and all that kind of stuff. But Lovecraft actually was a progenitor of that. There's actually a good book on that, by the way, written by a guy that's a notorious skeptic, but he is called The Cult of Alien Gods, and he traces it pretty well in that book. Uh, I leave this open here because I don't really care how you interpret him. Now, in Lovecraft's work, you have all three kinds of extraterrestrial entities, and these are the three that I mentioned, I, I kind of boiled down to. You've got the aliens living on other planets, and then you've got the interdimensional entities, and Lovecraft allows for this possibility, too, that they're just simply things that are in your own mind. And when you do the magical rituals, you're actually accessing higher powers in your mind. Somebody could claim that Aleister Crowley's holy guardian angel was actually uh, Crowley himself, just kind of in his own mind, the way they perceived himself. So I leave open all three of those views, and we see those three views in Lovecraft's work, and I personally don't care how you want to interpret them. Like I said before, if the magic works, it works, but I'll tell you one thing, it needs an engine to work. And the engines are the extraterrestrial entities, however you define them. And that's the one thing that's missing from these TV shows, from the Doctor Strange, too. Magic's not being fueled by that. Uh, it's not really explained how it's being fueled. Like in the Doctor Strange one, he just kind of learns how to manipulate the astral, and then he kind of learns magic. He has kind of an aptitude for it, but they never explain where that magic comes from. You're I mean, putting the astral, then, on another planet? 
I don't really know what the astral plane is, if you want my honest opinion. The magicians postulate the astral. You've got like the chaos. They all postulate. They postulate like a mental plane is supposed to be beyond time and space, and that's where we formulate ideas. The gods live there, according to traditional theory. The gods live beyond time and space in some kind of mental plane, and that we can connect to it. And then what happens when you call an entity, it comes to the astral plane. That's a second-level reality. And then at that point... It either manifests in the astral plane or in the physical plane, and you're manipulating the astral at that point, so the entity comes to that plane. The chaos magicians have an interesting theory. They've got the same levels, but they don't believe that it's a mental plane. They believe it's primary reality, and there are no gods in primary reality. You could say it's God, but it's actually the void or chaos. Gods don't happen until you get to the astral plane, and then the way the chaos magicians view it, those are all egregores which are actually self-created entities. And some of them have been out there a long time, and some of them have been worshipped. The chaos magicians would say God himself, the God of Abraham, Jehovah, is actually an egregore that was created a long time ago, and it's just drawn power from the fact that all these churches and all these worshippers believe in it, and so it's actually achieved some kind of level of reality now. But the chaos magicians would say that none of these have any absolute reality. Anything on the astral does not have absolute reality. Human beings don't have absolute reality, and our minds don't have absolute reality. You know, So they would argue, the traditional would argue, that we're actually dealing with things that live on the astral plane, or at least come to the astral plane. But you can't quantify any of that kind of stuff. I mean, you could say that there are entities living in the mental level or in the primary level, or you could say there are entities living on the astral plane, or you could even say that they're manifest in the physical plane, which is what aliens would be, but there's no real way to quantify that or to say for sure what's happening. I'm trying to put all this together. We have maybe another plane, another dimension. We've got E.T. So let's talk about E.T. a little bit because I think we're kind of losing focus on that. So are we talking about physical entities that live on another planet, maybe in another star system? Is that what we're talking about when we talk about E.T.? It's very possible that's what we're talking about. No way to verify that, though. Okay, but I'm trying to find the connection of why this is assumed. I know about the ancient astronauts, and you mentioned Von Danica and all the other people. Of course, Desmond Leslie, who wrote the introduction to Flying Saucers Have Landed, the Georgia Damsky contact book, also wrote yeah. about those things. So this is something we've talked about for a long time, and we like to think about the interactions. But part of it is, would we, as Arthur Clarke has said in so many words, view this advanced technology as expressions of magic. It may just be highly advanced beings from other planets can do amazing things with their technology, and we look at them in their reality-bending ways as magicians. Well, you know how I view it. I am not so sure that we're actually asking the right questions sometimes. This is going to get a little strange, or if we really know what the proper questions are. I know it's a, it's comforting to kind of think that, you know, there are higher beings that have better technology or they're more cognitively developed, and that's kind of a nice thought. You know, they're out there because then they can help us or they can mentor us or something like that. But I'm not so sure. You know, when I look at the experiences like the magical experiences and the weird interpenetrating of reality, which is very similar to, like, the way quantum physics describes the reality at the subatomic level, it's very similar to that when you do magical experiences. And a lot of the experiences I've read that people have had that have contacted aliens, the experiences are very similar to that, too. There does seem to be, like, almost a magical component to that as well. 
And I'm not sure exactly what's happening here, but what I think it is, is the question that we should be asking is like, it's just a change in perception, basically. See, quantum physics has one really interesting rule. Whatever's not forbidden is compulsory. And what that means at the subatomic level, if a particle can do one thing, then it has to do everything else that it can do. And the way that I interpret that is that means there are different dimensions and there are different perceptions. And what we do with magic, we train ourselves to perceive things differently. And then when we perceive it differently than the way we've been conditioned, we're being exposed to something. But our minds aren't quite there yet. Our minds are still stuck in the way of viewing things that we were at before. And then we try and fill it up with images to make sense of what we're seeing. And I think that sometimes when we fill up our mind with what we think we're seeing, we sometimes see E.T., as you call it. We sometimes see the great old ones, Cthulhu or Yog sotha or we just see, like, things in our own mind that we know we've created in our own mind. So it's something that I really can't quantify or actually uh, explain fully. And I don't know if that helps or not. I don't view them as all distinct things, so I view them as all being kind of co-penetrating or co-existing in some kind of uh, fashion. All right, fair enough. We're not going to try to get you to prove that E.T. exists. We Uh, have no idea what form they would take, and it may also be, as we've suggested here in the Paracast, that what we see as UFOs doesn't represent the real phenomenon. It's just our puny or primitive minds trying to cope with something so far beyond our understanding that we use our cultural conditioning to make them appear into something that makes sense. We've got more to come with John Stedman, and the book is called H.P. Lovecraft and the Black Magical Tradition. And I want to know more about Lovecraft and how we find truths in what he says. And I also want to talk about some of the beings that he mentions in his novels. More to come with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paracast. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation. 
documentation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Have you ever wanted a shortcut to getting the underground secrets to making money online and seriously grow your business? Whether it's a new business, a part-time income, or an existing business, you have this incredible limited offer to get a copy of this Amazon best-selling book on dot-com success for free. Uncover the success factors to make your business ignite. Go to secretsignite.com. That's secretsignite.com. Get your free copy now. Go to secretsignite.com. Hey, diabetics. Yeah, you. Got a spare hour to waste going to the pharmacy to get your insulin or other meds and supplies every month? I didn't think so. Me either. I've got life going on, which is why I use PillPack. PillPack is an amazing online pharmacy. They package up all my diabetic meds and testing supplies into daily doses and send it to me every month automatically. All I do is pay my normal copay. PillPack does the rest. I'm serious. This is a free service. They don't even charge for shipping. PillPack handles all the medical insurance stuff and even get what my doctors for my other prescriptions so I don't have to, which is good because that's the stuff I forget. But Pill Pack remembers everything. They even package up my daily vitamins so I remember to take them too. If you're diabetic, your meds and supplies are life and death, which means you need Pill Pack. Call right now for this free service. You may even qualify for $25 in free vitamins. 800-560-7310. That's 800-560-7310. Again, 800-560-7310. Being self-reliance is about being prepared and to do what you need to have your own source of renewable energy. Portable Solar LLC offers the most powerful EMP hardened solar system on the market that is transportable from place to place and the best part it's very affordable. Contact them at PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 SolArc EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today or go to PortableSolarLLC.com to check out their patent pending technology. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have John Stedman joining us. And I want to get more into the works of H.P. Lovecraft. We're having weird connection difficulties, and I have a feeling that the uh, sub-Earth creatures are dealing with it's us. It's Lovecraft have, stuff, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's possibly John Stedman joins Gene and Chris in the Paracast. And we have questions from our listeners, very knowledgeable questions we get to in a moment. I'm going to throw something at you, and only because he mentioned Lovecraft, that Lovecraft had it right. And that is a guy who was popular in the 40s and had kind of a cult following in the 50s, 60s, until he died in the 70s, Richard Shaver. Ever hear of him? No, I haven't. Okay, he worked with Ray Palmer at Amazing Stories okay. magazine, and they had written fictional stories about an under-Earth civilization going back to Lemurian times involving two races, Deros and Tiros, Deros being the bad guys, the evil ones, and Tiros being the good guys. And Shaver said 
that Lovecraft in his fiction was using this factual basis in some of the creatures he talked about. What do you think? Well, I never heard that. But, you know, there are, people are always reading stuff like this into Lovecraft. Lovecraft was an atheist. He didn't believe in gods or gods. He didn't believe in, like, ultimate good or ultimate evil. He believed in cosmicism, basically. And what he thought was a cosmic indifferentism. He felt that the universe was indifferent to mankind and that there was no purpose to life at all, and there were no such thing as supernatural gods or goddesses. And he didn't believe in good or evil. Now, in his stories... Uh, he'll have characters that'll say something's evil or something's blasphemous or horrible. So he'll use the terminology of good or evil, but there isn't any really Christian dichotomy in Lovecraft. His best friend, August Derleth, tried to read it in there when he did his own Cthulhu mythos stories, you know, but it's just not there. You know, there is no good or evil in Lovecraft. And what you've got to realize is that Lovecraft is way before his time. I think he's still totally relevant for the 21st century, not just because of the quantum physics, but the way he views reality, and in fact, he's getting people there recognizing that. Now, there's a guy in Egypt, he's a a provost uh, at uh, the American University in Cairo, he's a philosopher, he's a speculative realist, and he's actually ranking Lovecraft up there with people like uh, Martin Heidegger, and uh, Picasso, you know, who were both two great thinkers about uh, the philosophy of the nature of being in existence. And he puts Lovecraft up there, but what Lovecraft argues is that reality is actually incommensurable with any attempt that we can represent or even conceive of it, and uh, the human century keeps getting in the way, and that's where the good or evil comes from, because the human century, you ever notice, like, Hollywood would do a movie like the Independence Day? It'll be evil, the evil aliens, and what do they do? They conceive of e- evil aliens as things that we find repugnant, big lizards or tentacles or something like that, and then when they do a nice alien, an alien coming to help us, they always make him kind of charming. He always looks like a human, a slightly more educated or intelligent human, a kind of a mentor kind of a figure. Like in The Day the Earth Stood Still, the original Day the Earth Stood Still, with Michael Rennie playing that part. And you know, so those are just human projections put on reality. But what's happening behind it, who can say? And what Lovecraft does in his fictions, and he does this very good, you were talking about the great old ones, right? Cthulhu, for a minute. Have you read The Call of Cthulhu? Uh, I'm sure everybody's read that one. Yes, I have read The Call of Cthulhu. Okay, think about that story for a minute. Like, in a popular mind, when you're talking about gaming people or when they're making movies about or whatever, it's a big monster. You know, it's a big greenish kind of monster with dragon wings and big claws and its face and massive tentacles. It's a monster, in other words. But that's human-centric. If you actually look at Lovecraft's story... He actually, the way that he presents Cthulhu is very interesting. You know, like a couple, some sailors find this island and it comes up. It's apparently the island of Ryleth or something. It's up for a little bit. And Cthulhu comes out into the light of day. Now, some of those sailors have kind of chanced upon this. Some of them do see a big monster, a big dragon-like monster. But there's one sailor that doesn't see anything. He's not sure what he's seeing, and the only way that he can describe what he's seeing, he says, a mountain walked or stumbled. A mountain walked or stumbled. That's how he sees Cthulhu. He doesn't see a a big monster at all. He sees something, and he's trying to grasp it, and all he can think of is a mountain. Another person actually ends up dying, and he sees Cthulhu as this, as an obtuse angle 
pretending to be an acute angle or masquerading as an acute <laughs> angle. So he, yes, he sees it as a geometrical experience of some kind. A and large Lovecraft, geometrical what, experience. Yes, a large one. It's actually like an uh, obtuse angle pretending to be obtuse, and it's like a big, vast thing, and he gets sucked into it, whatever it is. But what Lovecraft is getting at here is that the human-centric, the way we're conditioned to see things, interferes with reality. And this Graham Harmon guy who I was talking about, who wrote a book called Weird Realism, Lovecraft and Philosophy, very good book, too. He argues that Lovecraft, throughout his fictions, is actually using different techniques to express the weirdness of reality that we can't get in touch with. He uses like either the elusive method like he does in the Call of Cthulhu or he uses something called the horizontal method which is also a cubist method where he just piles on a whole bunch of things where the mind just can't put them all together and it kind of, it's like information overload to the mind to express what they're seeing. But see, Lovecraft is doing that. Now if you read, this is like in the 1930s, right? If you read Cthulhu Mythos fictions today, they go right back to the same nonsense They've always been doing. The great old ones are monsters, and they're evil. They're trying to destroy humanity. You know, so they can never get away from that. As long as we're human, we're going to have human-centric monsters. Yeah. And it gets even yeah. worse. You get vampires, zombies. I mean, that's even well, worse. Donald that's Trump. Even I mean, <laughs> we're, we're okay. making monsters out of all sorts of things in this day and age. Yeah. We, so, are, yeah. we are, and it's projections. Those are all projections. So you ever notice that people project things onto this guy? Russia, they project Russia. There's some kind of Russian involvement, or right. he's doing this, or he's doing that. And they're projecting it onto him, but the man himself, is that really him? You know, and so we have a tendency to do that sort of thing. And the thing that I like about Lovecraft, if you read his fictions carefully and you study him, you realize he breaks down those human-centric convictions that we have. And that's what magic does, too. It teaches us to look at things differently, to perceive things differently. Well, he, he definitely was, was plugged in, I think, to a some form of... You know, I hate to use the term like the Akashic Records or something, but when when you look at, you know, a late 20s story, a short story like The Mountains of Madness, and then look at what, what's been going on, you know, currently down in Antarctica and some of the conspiracy theories that are coming out about why, um, you know, pivotal figures uh, in culture are in the last two years have been shuttled down there and shuttled back. Buzz Aldrin had a heart attack, uh, evidently, on his trip, and the Russians had to, uh, had to uh, you know, do a flight for life thing to get him out of there after a heart attack. The head of the Russian Orthodox Church has been down there. And all this kind of stems back to that very, you know, my favorite Lovecraft short story, uh, the Mountains of Madness, which all takes place right in that same area, you know, just uh, adjacent to uh, the South Pole. So uh, what, let's talk about his uh, ability to to kind of see through the glass darkly into the future. Let's do that. Let's look at the glass darkly in our next segment with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. 
At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com. Virtual care anywhere. When a storm causes power loss for a whole day, it can seem endless. There's a new kind of storm brewing, one that could target our nation's power grid and turn off the power for not just days, but for months or longer. Veteran news anchor Ted Koppel's new book, Lights Out, details this exact scenario. And CENTCOM General Lloyd Austin says it's not a question of if, but when. That's why Americans are rushing to secure solar power generators to provide an endless supply of life-saving electricity without gas, fumes, or noise. And the Breakthrough Patriot Power Generator 1500 has it all. Portable and lightweight, providing up to 1500 continuous watts of clean, quiet, and free renewable solar power. If a blackout strikes, you'll have power for heat, lights, cell phones and computers, and critical medical devices, all from the rechargeable solar power. Our first introduction sold out fast, and with high demand, we can't guarantee keeping the supply in stock. Stay protected with the power you need. The Patriot Power Generator 1500. Right now, enjoy our special easy pay option. Just go to blackout27.com. That's blackout27.com. Blackout27.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Eubanks. You know, as part of Hollywood for a long time, I've seen my fair share of celebrities get in trouble with the IRS. Well, there's one name I trust, the Tax Defense Group. They're the most trusted name in tax. So if you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS, you really need to call my friends at the Tax Defense Group. Ignoring the IRS is not the solution. They can garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, seize your home or business. But the Tax Defense Group could put a stop to all of that and tailor a program that would reduce your tax debt to pennies on the dollar. you got to love that. So don't just take my word for it. Call them. Find out for yourself. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. And they're open 24 hours a day because they know that tax debt doesn't sleep either. Call now for your free and confidential tax analysis from the most trusted name in tax. Call 800-361-6907. 800-361-6907. Warning. If you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-958-9659. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-958-9659. That's 1-800-958-9659. 1-800-958-9659. 
this is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. With Gene and Chris in the Paracast, we're exploring all the fascinating things about H.P. Lovecraft and his insights. Chris, you were leading John to something in the previous segment. Well, yeah, I want to talk about him as a visionary, as someone that um, was able to tap into the zeitgeist uh, decades before uh, we even knew that that, you know, we had these dark kind of (laughs) areas in our our, uh, sort of horror closet. Yeah, I'm not going to dispute anything that you say, okay? Because the thing great about Lovecraft, he's a um, major figure. He's a major figure not only as a fantasy writer and as a literary figure. Most camps accept him as like the major 20th century writer. Even some people put him above Edgar Allan Poe. I certainly do that. But he's much more than a major figure. And he's like, it's a vast... I don't know what you want to call it, but he can take any amount of different interpretations and accommodate them all, and then he rises still, and he's still Lovecraft. A lot of people make these kinds of interpretations, like his friend Durleth was arguing that it's like a classic good versus evil. The elder gods are good, you know, and then the great old ones are evil, and it was the conflict between those two. And now you're talking about these ancient things that they're discovering. I uh, reserve judgment on whether these are true or not. There are some occultists that argue that Lovecraft in fact, was dreaming true, and he was actually in touch with, like, the future and the past, and he actually did get in contact with real extraterrestrial entities, and he actually could foretell the future. And so they place him as kind of like an unconscious occultist, dreaming true. Uh, Donald Tyson, the guy that wrote his own version of the Necronomicon, and he's written the grimoire of the Necronomicon, argues that Lovecraft was actually a practicing magician, but it was a kind of a dreaming, unconscious form of magic. And I'm perfectly willing, if somebody wants to make the argument. He can't prove that, of course. I can't disprove it. And so if a person wants to view it that way, then by all means, that's good. You know, what it means is that we're going to keep talking about Lovecraft. So what I see in the future is that science and magic are going to have to come together. They used to be the same thing in the old days, and then they kind of broke apart during the Enlightenment era. But they're going to have to come together because quantum physics definitions of the universe and of reality are getting more and more magic the more decades that go by. And someday, those quantum physicists are going to need some way to quantify their speculations. They can't do it right now, which is why Einstein got off that bandwagon, because he didn't like speculating beyond things that we could prove, and that's where quantum physics has gone now. It's all speculation. Someday, we're going to have to try and find a way to quantify those. And so far... I think the only way we can actually quantify, the closer we can come to it, is utilizing magic. Even though we can't explain why it does what it does, it will allow us to get in touch with these kinds of interdimensional things. And so sometime, magic and science are going to have to link up again and have a relationship. And I think we're moving in that direction slowly. Is it fair to say, though, if we're going to start dropping in quantum physics, that maybe magic is just another way of looking at technology and maybe even a more advanced version, because we don't need all the technological stuff. We can use spells instead of gadgetry. And we're moving. 
moving in those directions, but we're doing it electronically, but we're still a great deal away from it. And the problem is, of course, that we can create virtual environments, but we can't master artificial intelligence yet. And that's the big sticking point there. Like, we can create virtual entities, and we could argue those virtual entities are similar to the kind of magical entities that we create, but there's one big difference. The things that they create virtually are not artificially intelligent. And the uh, great old ones are the gods and goddesses that magic deals with are intelligent, are artificially intelligent. We don't know why they are, but they are. And so there can be a genuine information exchange between magical entities and human beings, but there can't be the same thing with the virtual. And we're not really there yet. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there, but once when we get there, we're still going to have to find ways to quantify that. So technology is running way behind all that. It's running way behind the speculation. All right. You never know when I'm going to shut up. Do you see I'm a college teacher? I can sit up there and lecture for hours, and I've got a captive audience, and the students can't really do anything until the class is over, you know. So I have a tendency to ramble on and talk forever and ever, and I apologize for that. Well, I'll tell you something here. I run the board, and I have the power, and I'll interrupt you when it's necessary. Yes, I have the power, unless you're going to use some kind of magical spell that could be invoked through Skype. Yeah, and plus you can actually edit, too, so that's even more powerful. Yes, but, you you know, I should tell the truth to our listeners. They wonder, what is it that I do to edit this show? And the fact of the matter is, it's very little. I give it a shave and a haircut. I clean it up a little bit unless someone says one of the George Carlin words. Then it gets to be more involved. (laughs) I want to ask you just parenthetically, and I want to get also into listener questions that Chris will offer you. That is, how... Do your students react to all this? Are they aware of it? Because you're an English teacher. Yeah, I, I actually teach writing. I teach them how to write. And there's a very clear line there. When I go in there, it's very important for them to see these are pr- students getting ready to go to the undergraduate university. And so I teach them how to write analytical expository essays or argumentative essays, which is a st- uh, more aggressive form of an analytical expository essay. I concentrate on that entirely because that's what I'm paid to do, and that's the skill they need. And I would argue it's a number one skill they need in order to succeed in college. And so I teach that, but some of them have probably read my book, and I'll speculate and have some fun in the classroom, tell my little jokes. I have a very macabre sense of humor. I'll tell my little jokes, but I concentrate basically on teaching them why I'm supposed to teach them how to write analytical expository essay. I am proposing a class, though, and I'm going to talk to the dean of instruction about that, actually, where I want to teach a class called Speculative Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror in the 21st Century. And then I'm going to have a segment on Lovecraft's works, and then I pick some other science fiction writers, like William Gibson. You guys know William Gibson? Neuromancer. He wrote the uh, novel Neuromancer. But he's written several, too. But I'm going to be talking, uh, the class, if they approve this class, it'll be a more speculative class. But my teaching is not speculative. I don't, we don't deal with any of this kind of stuff. I'm not being paid to do that sort of thing. I keep the planes very distinct. Alistair Crowley always said, you've got to make sure your planes are distinct. And you have to do that so you don't go crazy. If, you, if the planes aren't distinct, then suddenly the great old ones will appear to you in the middle of the afternoon at 1 o'clock while you're teaching. You can't have that happen. So you've got to keep the barriers between the planes, psychological barriers. But let me ask you here, since you mentioned the fact that you're bringing this up to some degree with your students, have you ever run into anything weird or unusual as a result? In the classrooms? Yes. Uh, no, not really. 
I've encountered some really bad, pathetically written essays, and I've encountered some really pathetically good written essays, you know, but that's the level that I'm at when I teach, so uh, we don't deal with any of this kind of thing. I've never had any kind of uh, odd experience happen in the classroom at all, if, if that's what you're saying. But it's, uh, you have to, those are controlled, you know, I mean, you, I don't expect them to come unless I uh, set it up or call them. I don't expect things to come in the classroom. If, I, if they do, if things start happening, then I need to check myself into a mental institution, you know, so I, I want to keep those planes distinct. Well, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> that was a good idea. <laughs> I need a paycheck. I need a paycheck. They can't have me, like, I certainly can't be evoking elder gods or anything in the classroom. I mean, that might actually get kind of messy, because some of those people are perceived as monsters, and if they perceive something as a monster, it's going to act like a monster, which means I'll probably be torn apart. I can't have the reputation no. of people that take my class no. risking being torn apart. It's mm. kind of they would probably put me on administrative leave or just fire me outright. I like the paycheck, okay? Especially co-eds. I mean, they're they're so young and cute and innocent. We don't need they them. They are 20. cute. We don't you know, need I don't them mind if it's, if it's old, jaded professors like myself, you know, sure, we've lived for quite a number of years, so yeah, let's see what it's like being torn apart by an elder god, but I'm not going to have that happen to a 20-year-old if I can avoid it. Well, the other thing here I want to ask you, and we can go on to the next segment, is this. Are we viewing these creatures with our expectations that they're ugly and gross, not as to what they appear to be? Is that part of the picture there? We'll find out that, and I think Chris will get to some of your questions, listeners, in our next segment with John Stedman talking about H.P. Lovecraft and magic and all that stuff. With Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Water is the single most important thing your body needs, so you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest priced filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com. 
In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Minuteman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Minuteman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. It's called the Deep State. Barack Obama's most loyal aides still hold office, and they want to stop President Trump. Deep State was first revealed in the runaway New York Times bestseller, Big Agenda. David Horowitz's Big Agenda exposes Obama's government in exile and his shocking plan. Newsmax, Lou Dobbs, and Coulter all say you must read Big Agenda at bookstores everywhere or check out our free offer. Call 800-NEWSMAX, 800-NEWSMAX, or go to BigAgenda411.com. That's BigAgenda411.com. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-615-7709. That's 800-615-7709. 800-615-7709. It's called the Deep State. Barack Obama's most loyal aides still hold office, and they want to stop President Trump. Deep State was first revealed in the runaway New York Times bestseller, Big Agenda. David Horowitz's Big Agenda exposes Obama's government in exile and his shocking plan. Newsmax, Lou Dobbs, and Coulter all say you must read Big Agenda at bookstores everywhere or check out our free offer. Call 800-NEWSMAX, 800-NEWSMAX, or go to BigAgenda411.com. That's BigAgenda411.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. Chris sounds like he's trying to cast a spell. He's going to spit it out one day and, you know, it's just going to all fall apart. So what do you think, John Stedman, these... Ugly creatures, gross, horrifying. Is that the way they are, or is that what we perceive, that we kind of infer this from who and what they're supposed to be? Well, I think that we just, whatever we see, we bring it with us. You know, we're conditioned. Now, a lot of the times, people that do magical rituals based on the great old ones, they already have preconceptions. And that was a danger that I talked about before when I was in middle school. You know, I had called up the spirit of Bartzabel. I had a pretty good idea what Bartzabel would look like. And in fact, they have a golden dawn ritual for calling up Bartzabel. So I'd read all the documents. I'd read Crowley 777, which has got all the correspondences, how to decorate your temple, what kind of weapons to use, what kind of incense to burn, what Mars should be doing up in the heavens at that time. 
time, what the best hour for doing so. You read all that stuff, and then you got expectations. And like I said, those rituals justified my expectations. But I'm not really engaged in anything, am I? Like, if you talk to somebody that is justifying your expectations, you're talking to yourself, basically. You're not learning anything, right? And so what I think is a lot of times people that get involved in magic, they've already read the Call of Cthulhu. They've seen the games. They've read books. They've seen the movies. When a Cthulhu comes up, it kind of looks like that because they're, they're predisposed to look like that. However, in my rituals, the one that I'm putting together into the grimoire, it's like a narrative. What happens, you do the language, you recite the words of power, you do the gestures, very minimal use of magical weapons. You can conjure whatever you need, just like they did in Doctor Strange. And what will happen is that you have an experience, and it kind of forms like a narrative, and it might not have anything to do with what your preconceptions are about Cthulhu. And each time you do the ritual, you have a different experience. And so you're gaining more knowledge. You might be gaining power, too, but it's not the kind of power where you go, ah, I've got the power of Cthulhu, now I'm going to blast you. Like in the Doctor Strange, I've got the power of the Dark Dimension, so a dormant is behind me, so I'm going to do this or that. It's not like that at all. It's not good or evil when we're beyond time and space, because time and space is not good or evil, but time is not really good or evil either. It's human behavior. And when we get past human behavior and human-centric things, uh, we've left all that behind, you know. So uh, whatever people do, if they've got preconceptions, they'll bring the preconceptions. They'll see Cthulhu the way that they're conditioned to see him. And maybe if they get lucky, they'll see it differently, and they'll be having a genuine narrative. They'll have an original relationship with the universe, which is what I think is the goal of magic. And that kind of leads me, that's a perfect kind of opening for some listener questions. This one comes from Red who's been posting since the end of November 2009 at com, where our listeners get a chance to post questions for our guests. And Red has come out, uh, he's posted uh, over 500 messages, and he kind of has is, is broken this up into three different sort of uh, questions, really. Question two, I want to start with that. It's pretty well documented that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft cribbed quite a bit from the Encyclopedia Britannica. He reached out to one of his pen pals who had an occult library and asked to borrow some of the titles after Lovecraft wrote the disastrous horror Red Hook, from which all the occult references have been taken from the Encyclopedia. I guess he learned from his mistakes. As a good chunk of his mythos was established before that book, how do you feel Lovecraft managed to tap into the beginnings of a workable magical system with practically no real functional knowledge of the occult? He never did. Caller is perfectly right about that. He actually mined the Encyclopedia Britannica. I talk about this in Chapter 2, by the way, where he gets this information from. He did ask his friend Clark Aston Smith to uh, suggest books of magic. And in my book, I explore exactly the uh, documents that he read, the books. And he had a very superficial knowledge of magic. And what he was doing, he was mining that for atmosphere and for words and for concepts that he could kind of use in his stories kind of like as a justification for what he was actually trying to create. So he wasn't really seriously interested in practicing magic. He never formulated a magical system. So, so they were literary that. devices, basically. They were literary devices. He actually stole a conjuration out there, and it's supposed to be a really damnable, as he would call it, a damnable conjuration for doing something. It was actually a Latin 
evocation that he got from Eliphas Levi. He didn't get it from Eliphas Levi's original document, The Transcendental Magic, but he actually got it from the Encyclopedia Britannica version of that. And I talk about all that in my book. And what it was, was it was supposed to be a really evil conjuration, and it was actually just a conjuration for ca- calling up the different elementals for alchemical kind of things, calling up, right. so you're calling up elementals for uh, fire, water, air, and earth. And there was nothing really damnable about it all. In fact, I dissect a couple of those in Chapter 2 and show that they really weren't that. Like, he would uh, heap all those words in there, and the words didn't mean it. He didn't know what the words meant. You know, but most of them were like old... 10th century grimoires that had words like different names to God or different names to angels, and he didn't even know that. He just kind of dumped it in there. So it was like what you said. It was a literary device, but Lovecraft did not found a magical system. What he was doing, he was trying to find some way to get his narrators into the kind of experiences I'm talking about. He used magic to do that. Sometimes he didn't, like in the thing you're talking about, the, your favorite, and that's considered one of his best stories, by the way, the uh, Mountains of Madness. That one, he stays on a regular physical plane there. I mean, they discover ancient astronauts that colonized that before the Earth, and there's no magic. Yeah, it's, in there, it's, but it's sci-fi. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's sci-fi. And you know, the weird thing about it is, like, I got a really good endorsement from S.T. Josie, who's actually an atheist, and he doesn't believe in anything occult, and he had to kind of grit his teeth when he read my book, but he gave me a good endorsement, anyhow. But anyhow, he makes the argument, and his argument's wrong. He makes the argument that Lovecraft was moving away from magic, and was demythologizing his mythos, and so it was all going to be like aliens. It was all going to be extraterrestrial aliens. And he argues that we see Lovecraft moving away from magic and stories like that, but the way that this falls apart is yeah, that I, I he disagree. was really... I would disagree, too, because he, we'd have to see a consistent pattern. Like, you'd have to see a pattern, like the Dunwich Horror, it's pure magic in the Dunwich Horror. After the Dunwich Horror, when he started doing the Whisper in Darkness, it's also extraterrestrials, and then the Mountains of Madness. And yeah, then he jumps in, around. There's no he, curve going on. There's no curve. Like, you'll see a couple stories that are completely science fiction. The color out of space is completely science fiction. Something yeah. comes out of space, it goes back. But then, what do you see? Like, later on in 19. 19- 33, after these, you see him writing the thing on the doorstep, which is about a magical practitioner who actually possesses the body of his daughter, so it's about magical possession there, and then you've got, like, the shadow all the time, and there's another extraterrestrial one, and then the haunter of the dark, which was his last story in 1925, that's pure magical, like, the person conjures up using a trapezoid, he conjures up a magical entity, so Lovecraft jumps back and forth, and what I think he's trying to do, he's trying to use different methodologies different narratives to actually express things that are inexpressible but things that fascinate him completely things that he dreamed about at night and he wanted to share those dreams with us too in the daytime Lovecraft was an atheist and a materialist at nighttime he couldn't control what was going into his dreams and he wanted to share those with us and when he did it sometimes it came out scientific and sometimes it came out magical he never once devote himself entirely to one point of view or the other point of view, and that's why I think he's so strong, why the Dakami and Lovecraft is so strong. He never resolved that conflict right. between the night side and the dark side, and I think that's why he's so powerful, because with all the rest of us, that's the way we are, too. Right. I believe yeah. that's the way we all are. And you can say that about Stephen King, too, in some ways, uh, for someone that has had such a prodigious output. You know, you can always kind of pigeonhole him in a horror sense, but where that horror goes, 
it shoots out tendrils, <laughs> Cthulhu face tentacles, all through every genre out there. Uh, and he borrows and steals liberally. And I think, obviously, Lovecraft must have been uh, a, a real, you know, early, very powerful uh, influence on him. But do you see where the horror is? The horror isn't in the monsters. The horror isn't in people being torn apart. The horror, no, the horror is, is in the, the human condition. <laughs> The human condition and the fact that uh, just a slight change in perception, and then it's all different, and we don't really understand what's happening, but we're certainly not in control anymore. We're very minor, uh, a very minor player. And then Lovecraft is constantly taking us to look out at the cosmos itself. And if you think about the cosmos, my God, it's frightening out there. Yeah. I mean, we've only been on the Earth for a small amount of time. Another 15 billion years or so, we're going to have the Great Crunch, where the Great Bang reaches its final extension and pulls back. If the sun hasn't gone Nova before then, we're goners. We're goners, right? So well, we're, we're goners we way before that. There's going to be some uh, celestial you know, traffic traffic crash uh, with an asteroid. That, that, is, that is a horror. And that Lovecraft expresses so well and why some other writers just can't do it. I mean, look at The Walking Dead on TV. They're worried about a bunch of zombies, right? right. Well, they're I'll tell you what, before the zombies violence. take over the show, we've got a break. <laughs> they already have. With Gene and some strange creature, you're in. <laughs> You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive PowerCast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Did you know there's a new group of water contaminants with unknown health effects? These emerging contaminants lurking in your water may include prescription over-the-counter drugs and new types of herbicides and pesticides. ProPure's improved Pro1G2.0 filter meets NSF 401 standards to help reduce these emerging contaminants. To find out more, visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Yeah! <laughs> 
Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien, ladies and gentlemen, has been possessed by something weird, something frightening. No, that that was my that was my Frank Durbont Walking Dead zombie imitation. Why are we so hung up on zombies these days? I never understood that. You know, I come out of the Frankenstein Dracula tradition, but the zombies never did it for me. Yeah, and it's it's different kinds of zombies now. You have your your George Romero kind of you know, plodding along zombies. And then you have your your World War Z impossibly quick zombies. So we're, we're kind of branching out. So it kind of reminds me of heavy metal. There used to be like heavy metal, and now there's like 30 different subcategories. So I kind of envisioned the same thing happening to the, to the zombie uh, genre movie. <laughs> You know what's interesting about zombies? Since you guys are talking about, I, 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 I want to talk about zombies for one minute. I never thought zombies were too good, but I did see this movie called Warm Bodies. Did you see that one? It was kind of a comedy where a zombie kind of learns to his heart is beating again. They kind of change his perception and turns back into a living human being. Did you see that movie? Uh, I, I don't no. know. If, Sounds kind okay, of soft well, about, porn. No, no, it's not that. It's a movie. It's like a, a girl, a zombie. For some reason, it's a young man, and for some reason, he doesn't attack the girl. But then she, he kind of rescues her from the other zombies, and then he kind of learns to be human again. And I think it's a, a really interesting movie because it, where it it's sounds like it's, it sounds like every sitcom on TV. <laughs> yeah, but it's different. You know, like those zombies in The Walking Dead, they can't come back. I mean, they're yeah. already infected, and they're not. There's, they can't be really human anymore. They're kind of just like shells. They're being animated somehow. But in this one, the guy actually came back, and then he he kind of uh, by a change of perception or feeling, he actually perceived himself away from being uh, a zombie into human again. And he slowly evolved into human. He could fall in love and stuff. And then the other zombies, they, they found ways to do that, and then they were all kind of cured, but they cured themselves by changing their perception. I thought oh, that was interesting. I like I was that. Wondering, kind of remediating well, zombiehood. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like, you know, zombies, you're kind of dead, but you kind of, by perception, you realize you're not really dead at all. And I think that could be a metaphor for something even more profound than that. But I thought it was a good movie. At least it was a creative movie. Most of the so zombies. What's ones, it called? Warm just, Bodies? Warm Bodies, yeah. It was okay. out a few years uh, ago. It's kind that. of a love story. Yeah, yeah, remedial zombiehood. You know, we're running out of time, uh, John, so let's let's kind of move on here. I wanna, yeah, I'll, I'll get back yeah, to well, No, that's all right. I, I brought it up, so whatever works. <laughs> This is another question from Red, by the way. Dan Harms argues that the Simon Necronomicon contains magical booby traps that might not trip up an experienced magician or practitioner, but could trip up the newbies. In fact, there used to be an online support group of people who claimed to be victims of this version of the Necronomicon, a fictional book by the the Mad Arab, I think. <laughs> yeah, Abdul has read The Mad Arab, right? Exactly. Yeah. You'd be willing to uh, spend a few minutes discussing your thoughts on and views on this. I think that's a good question. Yeah, it's a good question. i got to tell you something. You know, okay, I've read about that for years, the traps and everything. You know, I've never had anybody 
say specifically what those traps are actually point to. Now, I've used some of the rituals in there. Uh, like when I do some, did some of my rituals, I did an ev- uh, evocation of Yog Sotha, and I had uh, one of my magician friends would be in, in charge of the main circle, and he would always do that watcher ritual. They've got a ritual in there called the evocation of the watcher, and the watcher is like some kind of entity that you conjure up to kind of protect the area from any kind of untoward experiences. Because when you start working with Lovecrafting entities, odd things happen around the perimeters of the circle. And it was his job to make sure it was all impregnable. So he would use the watcher ceremony. And I've used a couple of the other things in there, but I've never found any traps at all. Now, I'm a pretty experienced magical practitioner, but I'm pretty sure that the traps are because of the uh, inexperience of the person doing it, not so much in the rituals themselves. I mean, if you have to actually be very highly disciplined, you have to be very strong-willed, you have to have a good modicum of intelligence, a good sense of humor, and you need to have magical ability. You need to well, also, I would think that you would need some form of rationale, you know, like a, a goal. And, and this leads me to Red's third question. Considering that most of Lovecraft's fiction dealt with the encroachment of vast, unknowable horrors into a reality inhabited by mankind, is there any other functional purpose for working with such a system? Why would you even do a Lovecraft ritual? Well, if you're at a lower level of mental development, you do it to actually cause an apocalypse. There's actually a couple groups around there. Uh, one group, I forget what they call themselves, but it's led by somebody calls him Virgus Satanus. And he actually does the rituals to actually bring about the apocalypse. He wants to wipe out humanity the way Wilbur Whaley tried to do in the Dunwich Horror and replace this dimension with uh, great old ones. That's not a very good purpose. Usually what happens when you do that is you end up uh, messing up your own mind and and the rest of the world goes blissfully on. But uh, Red, his name's Red, he actually brings up a very good question. Why would you want to do that? And the only answer that I can give Red for that is it's certainly not for spiritual perfection. Okay, now you got Donald Tyson out there with... Well, no, you've got Donald Tyson out there with the Grimoire, the Necronomicon. He argues that we're trying to spiritually perfect ourselves and that we have to mentor with the old ones. And that runs counter to everything in Lovecraft. These things don't even consider humans anything more than we would consider an ant. That's going to termite to a commune with the Dalai Lama. Yeah, well, that'd be like a termite trying to communicate with me so that he can become human. We're going to step on it or eradicate. We're not going to commit. We don't care about the termite. And the old ones view us in that way, too, if we want to see them viewing us that way. But there's only one reason for doing this. And I talk about that in my book. The goal of magic is basically knowledge or power. And when I say knowledge or power, it's just simply knowledge. It's just simply knowledge. A person goes to college, they get an undergraduate degree in philosophy or psychology, they gain a lot of knowledge, and then they can apply that knowledge in certain ways, right? Well, that's what we're doing here. We're gaining knowledge of things that are behind the veil that we haven't been able to see. So it's just pure knowledge and sometimes power. Sometimes you want to make a little tweaking going on to make your life more comfortable or to a little spell or something. So that's for power too. But I'm not talking about bad knowledge to dominate or bad power to dominate. I'm talking about just pure knowledge and power. That's why we do it. There's no other reason for doing it. It's not certainly for self-development. Some people argue that if a person gets more and more experiences dealing with alternate dimensions and different perceptions, that when you die, you don't die. You just simply 
perceive things differently, the way those zombies in warm bodies are perceiving things differently, and then you go on to a different form of life in a different dimension. It's running concurrent with this dimension right now. You know, so maybe you prolong your life into another form of life. I don't know for sure, can't empirically prove it, but I know for a fact the reason why you do magic right now, here and now, is for knowledge and power. So I, I think that answers Red's question specifically. I have a question myself I wanted to drop in here. For those who really want to try to get into this, and, you know, we see all the horror films where somebody, child or teenager, is naive, and they look at these magical spells, and they try to do something, and, of course, there's always some bad result. They call up some horrible monster, and they have to spend the rest of the film trying to get rid of the monster and learn and become chastened because they learned that you're not supposed to mess with powers that are beyond your understanding. You have to be careful. You have to be knowledgeable. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, and we're going to talk about this in the remaining three segments, plus more listeners' questions. And that is, for our next segment, maybe we'll start with this, the answer to this question. All right, if some of our listeners want to read up on this, they'll read up your book, they maybe do some follow-up research, and they want to cast a few spells. And I'll caution you that I'm not saying people should cast spells necessarily, but maybe just to play with a few things. That's all. Should we tell them, no, no way, wait until you really know what you're doing? Or is there something they could do to just, you know, test the waters without any really nasty blowback? It sounds like the beginnings of a horror film. More to come with John Steadman and Gene and Chris. <laughs> You're in the Paracast. <laughs> yeah. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Attention investors, 2017 is the year of Trump and financial markets are rising at all-time highs. But economic uncertainty may be greater than after any election in our lifetime. And as retirement approaches, there's little time to recover your losses. You need to hedge against uncertainty. That means transferring part of your retirement to physical gold and silver stored where you can actually hold it in your hand and get it fast in any disaster. It's a perfect time to buy. Prices are low and expected to climb. Make Augusta Precious 
Precious Metals, your personal gold and silver provider. Augusta cares for your financial position and helps you make good decisions. And they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. Get Augusta's free gold and silver IRA guide. What you learn could help you weather any economic storm. There's no obligation. Just call toll-free. Call 855-222-5857. That's 855-222-5857. Again, 855-222-5857. Trust Augusta. Protect your retirement today. You may own a knife, but if it's not an indie hammered knife, it's not a knife. From the forge to the grinder to the sheath, each indie hammered knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie hammered knives, custom knives made in America. It's been said, any society is only three missed meals away from chaos. Those times may be near. Think about it. Our country faces multiple terrorist threats and aggressions from Russia and North Korea. Social unrest and violent marches yet again may lead to looting of stores and city shutdowns. And our crumbling infrastructure leaves our power grid vulnerable to long-term outages from a single cyber attack. When the chaos from any one of these threats arises, the government knows it can't provide during a widespread national emergency. That's why you need your own plan for self-reliance. That's where My Patriot Supply comes in. Get a four-week survival food supply for only $99. That includes breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Order online at preparewithgcn.com. $99 for four weeks of survival food that tastes like homemade cooking and lasts up to 25 years from My Patriot Supply. Get your kits today at preparewithgcn.com. Free shipping is included. Preparewithgcn.com. This is Dan Pillett. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Well, you see what we brought on this show with Gene and Chris and the Paracast and John Stedman. So, for people who want to get into this, what should they do to get started? And what are the limits? <laughs> what should be done there to keep them out of trouble? Yeah, you know, I got to tell you, you guys are a lot of fun. You guys really have fun doing this. You, you, I'm pretty <laughs> sure your listeners are having fun. I mean, you guys are having fun. And la- laughter and all sorts of things going on, that's great. This is what I want to suggest for those people. My grimoire is not out yet. I'm still in the process of adding it. And that's for a little bit more advanced students. I think anybody could use those rituals advantageously, even if they're not very well developed. But if somebody wants to start at a basic beginner level and start learning to use these kinds of forces or these kind of elements, I can only recommend one guy. Okay, now I don't know if his books are all in print yet, but you can get them at Llewellyn. His name is Constantinos. It's a Greek name. I don't know what his real name is. His name is Constantinos. He's got a book called The Nocturnicon. 
He's got a book called The Gothic Grimoire. He's got a book called Gothic uh, Witchcraft. And uh, those books are great for the beginner. They take you into it real slowly. They don't go any farther. And you get a feel of what it's like to deal with these types of forces and these types of entities. I would argue that if you're actually sufficiently educated and skilled, you're not running any risk whatsoever unless you mix up the planes in some odd way. But uh, I would suggest those books for the beginner. (laughs) <laughs> I once suggest jumping right into the Necronomicon, but I don't no, personally No, 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 no. There's way more kind of uh, early walk before you run uh, research that needs to be done. Once you've gone through Konstantinos' uh, uh, one or two books there, an, an, another really good uh, tried-and-true classic is Magic and Theory and Practice by Alistair Crowley. It's a little dense. It's a little difficult to read. But in terms of uh, presenting... The very basics about uh, magical traditions, um, why you would even consider doing some sort of real serious ritual. Everything we do in our life, uh, we tie our shoes, we answer the phone. Uh, it's all ritual. It's just a matter of, of uh, how much intent is has been uh, encapsulated behind uh, the intent of the ritual. Magic and Theory and Practice is, is a very good book. Also, Dion Fortune, for people that want to slide into it more, uh, maybe in a fictional realm. She wrote quite a number of, of novels, and as did Crowley about neophytes getting involved in uh, in serious magical traditions. So, you know, there's more than one way to approach it, but you really, really make sure that your motives are pure and your means are correct. <laughs> yeah, well, those you know? books are all good. Like, Moonchild's a good one. That's Crowley's novel. Very Moonchild, good book. actually... That does a great portrayal of how to conjure up entities. Got Cyro Gray conjuring that entity in the garden. And then that wonderful ritual that uh, Brother Onofrio, I don't know how his name is pronounced, it does later on how they're trying to get a, a spirit to kind of incarnate in a woman. That's a very good book. Magic and Theory and Practice, I remember people used to say the same thing about that book they did about Simon. There's all sorts of pitfalls, but there's some very useful rituals in there, those banishing rituals of the pentagram yeah, and hexagram. The, the- the Lesser Banishing Richard, the LBR, uh, the Rosy Cross. Yeah. Um, there's the, some yeah, real the basic system of the, uh, the system Mass of, of the Phoenix around. is really good. The Mass of the Phoenix, you know, eating the body and blood of some kind of god, that's always useful. The Catholics do it every Sunday, you know, so you could use the Mass of the Phoenix. The Star Ruby ritual is real good. So there's a lot of cool stuff. And he's got his own evocation of the uh, Holy Guardian Angel in there, too, you know. So it's got a lot of interesting rituals. I don't think there's any pitfalls or any hidden traps in that, like some occults have claimed. No, I think it's just the writing style. It's the actual, you know, the end of the Victorian age where he was really trying to impress people with his intellectual knowledge and his verbosity. And at the same time, he was actually trying to to create something uh, fairly basic and fundamental for people to become, um, you know, initially exposed to uh, the Golden Dawn system of magic, which is, which is basically what we're talking about here. That's another good book, if you can find it, Israel Regardi's, you know, the complete Golden Dawn system of magic, which is a little difficult to find, but boy, I'll tell you, that's... <laughs> if you have any oh, sort of interest read, in these subjects. If you read uh, that well, one, you'll, you'll see Crowley stole all of his rituals from the Golden Dawn. What he did yeah. is he streamlined them, but they're all basically in that Golden Dawn book. You yeah. know, so he stole it all. He broke his oath. He took an oath when he went to the Golden Dawn. He wasn't going to reveal any of that stuff. First right. thing he did when he saw the order, he revealed it all in the Equinox volumes. By the way, I got two sets of those by, back in the old days when it was Samuel Weiser. I bought two sets of the Equinox. I got one clean copy that I never touched. It's just like minted gold, and then the other one, I've got notes and stuff in it. Those books are all good. I think people should experiment with these things. You know, they shouldn't be afraid to do it, but they should try and get themselves 
as intellectualized as possible, and they should try and deepen their ability to do things like astral traveling and then basic rituals before they start jumping in. It takes a lot of work in terms of just bringing yourself up to speed. Um, it's an incredibly complex subject, and uh, this is <laughs> definitely, it would be advisable to really do some research, get yourself up to speed, you know, take baby steps, start start small, don't try to bite off more than you can chew, for obvious reasons. I, I think, uh, as John, as you mentioned before, it's... <laughs> It's people attempting to, to bite off more than they can chew and then ending up dealing with something that they really have no business being in a position to have to deal with. Yeah, but, you know, that's a human thing. Remember back in the 30s, a bride of Frankenstein, you have, like, Frankenstein's wife saying, oh, Henry, we are not meant to deal with these kind of things. You know, that's a standard human reaction. And then in the end, the moral is, well, we better leave these things alone and go to church, you know, because we shouldn't deal with them. And, you know, they're still playing that tired old theme right now. No, you know, take baby steps. No, no, I'm not saying, you know, turn your back on, on the subject matter. I mean, this is very, very controversial belief system to even be talking about uh, on talk radio in this country, uh, in this day and age. But uh, I think taking baby steps, becoming informed, finding a system or an approach that, that seems to kind of resonate with you, that you you feel a connection with. Because there's, there's more than a few ways to skin the cat, so to speak. Yeah. Even in popular culture, you know, they're right back to the Frankenstein thing, you know, that we shouldn't meddle in these kind of things. And, of course, all the religious people. So you and we're on this show right here, so we're not members of that group. So you're talking to people that aren't members of the group, too. But the majority of people out there, and that's where, what fuels these movies you're talking about. you got young people. They're messing around with things they shouldn't mess around with, and they get their just results. You know, that thing is still with us, unfortunately. You yeah. know, and so... I think what we can do is help the people that have already stepped beyond that a little bit. And I think you're right. The baby steps is probably the best way to go. Yeah. You should mention, of course, in the real world, the fate of the guy who played Henry Frankenstein in The Bride of Frankenstein and Frankenstein. Yeah. Two years yeah, after The Bride of Frankenstein, Colin Clive died. And he was an alcoholic and he also suffered from tuberculosis. And the guy must have been in his yeah. 30s. I don't think it's because well, he... He was a very troubled guy. I mean, he was obviously a brilliant actor, but a really, really troubled guy. Oh, he dude. was. I've read, I've read about his life. You know, he uh, was a terrible alcoholic. He was just on the verge of getting worse when he was in that movie. But he was a very high-strung kind of a person, too. Uh, the guy that directed those movies, of course, uh, James James Whale, he actually had done, he'd had... Uh, Colin Clive working a play with him before, you know, so he liked the guy, he liked how high-strung he was, you know, but he would use anybody to get the best on him. But you're right, he died very shortly after that at a very young age. We've got more to yeah. come, guys. We have John Stedman with Gene and Chris. You're in the Pedagast. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
Lifetime Graze 100% grass-fed beef has the health benefits you seek. When compared to conventional beef, it offers good fats while virtually eliminating the bad. That's the result of cattle who never eat grain, ever. Rich in antioxidants, including vitamin E, C, beta-carotene, and CLA. No artificial hormones, antibiotics, or other drugs. For all our fresh, non-cooked products with only 100% grass-fed beef, go to MidasResources.com. Use voucher code GCN to get 30% off your order. MidasResources.com or find us on Facebook. You may own a knife, but if it's not an indie hammered knife, it's not a knife. From the forge to the grinder to the sheath, each indie hammered knife is handcrafted using God-given talent. The result is the sharpest edge a knife can have and a true work of art. See a variety of knives and the complete knife kit at ihknives.com. Indie hammered knives. Custom knives made in America. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333. Have you checked your Google search results lately? Search results are usually the first impression that people form of you or your business. So make sure that they create a positive impression with ReputationDefender.com. What the Internet says about you can have a big impact on your life and your livelihood, even if it's not true. Fortunately, you can now control how you look online and in online search results with ReputationDefender.com. Call 800-831-0771 now. That's 800-831-0771 for your free reputation analysis. If you have negative material from an ex-employee, upset patient, or former client, newspaper article, legal issue, social media, or other source showing up in your search results, you can combat it with ReputationDefender.com. Our dedicated experts in patented technology can help make your online search results look their best. Call 800-831-0771 to learn more. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com. Have you racked up more than $10,000 in credit card debt? Are you barely getting by, making minimum payments? You should know. The credit card companies are tricking you into thinking there's no way out. Credit card companies would rather you didn't know that there are ways you can become debt-free and you don't have to pay the entire amount you owe. There are debt relief programs that help people like you escape overwhelming credit card debt. National Debt Relief has helped tens of thousands of people just like you reduce more than $500 million of debt. National Debt Relief has helped so many people, they're A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. You don't have to declare bankruptcy or take out a consolidation loan. You have the right 
wait to settle your debt for a mere fraction of what you owe. Reduce a large portion of your debt now. Call National Debt Relief at 800-314-7417. 800-314-7417. That's 800-314-7417. This is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Remember when they had Boris and Bella? Bella Lugosi. And in those days when Karloff and Lugosi teamed up in movies, it wasn't Boris Karloff. It was just Karloff. Yeah, he actually eclipsed uh, Bela Lugosi completely. You know, he'd always get first billing. It was always Karloff, and then right under him in smaller font size, Bela Lugosi. Lugosi had kind of a tragic history, as we all remember. And that film was it. Ed Wood shows Bela Lugosi (laughs) in his final years, where he recovered from his addiction to painkillers because of a back problem, and then he appeared in these nothing films for his final years. Yeah, but you know what? Something about Lugosi, he was working. You know, I mean, he wasn't making a lot of money, but he was working consistently. He might have been in those poverty roll pictures and stuff, but the man was working, and his name was out there. He was out there. So, you know, a lot of times now, there's a lot of people that actually put him a little bit higher than uh, Karloff. Karloff was certainly a better actor, but some people put Lugosi higher because he has just this manic, demonic whatever persona about okay him name he, the one movie or series of movies actually that lugosi played a romantic lead and the hero he only did one okay well let's see that was uh oh boy see what's happening here we're doing trivia folks <laughs> did bella lugosi no, okay. ever play I'm a hero my, i'm thinking of my favorite one which would be the black cat of course but i'm trying to think if he was ever fully the hero well the black and cat he was kind of a hero yes he was, and uh, Karloff okay, he was, was really the villain. Yeah, and then uh, one, they gave him primacy in that other movie, too. The, uh, Paul won uh, The Raven. They gave him primacy in that one. Over, also, uh, The Invisible Ray. Oh, Remember that, where they developed this device? Oh, The Invisible Ray, yeah. And Karloff, once again, was the bad guy. Right. And I believe Lugosi was the kindly one there. I mean, you could see this. he was a pretty good actor because he could play... The role of kind of a father figure, and he'd be very kind and very <laughs> gentle, and then he'd a be a monster. He played Igor, too, or Igor. I'd say yeah. Igor, because I'm thinking... Igor, Mark yes, Igor. I- Walk this way. But he played uh, Igor very well in The Son of Frankenstein, you know, so he was a pretty good actor. He was reduced, though, by the time they had, what was it, the first Frankenstein and the Wolfman, where the Frankenstein yeah, monster was yeah. played by Lugosi... He was reduced to that, where he would be a voiceless monster. Yeah, and it was a shame, too, because they gave him the script to that movie, and they told him the Frankenstein monster was blind, and so he played it like it was a blind monster. And then they kept that conveniently quiet, and then when the movie was released, they said, look at Lugosi, he's overacting, he's a terrible actor. And he was actually trying to act like the monster was blind, that he couldn't see what he was doing. You're kidding. That That's true, yes, I remember that. 
Oh, man. Uh, they, they set him up for that. You know, they set him up for that. And then later on, they had John Carradine, who actually looks like uh, Bram Stoker's version of Dracula a little bit more. Right. They had him play the Dracula. But Carradine, the rest of these actors, they just didn't have that manic intensity that Lugosi had. And Lugosi got a chance again with Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein to play Dracula again. But he had oh, that's that. a classic. <laughs> And the monster was played in those final films after Costello meet Frankenstein, House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, by an actor named Glenn Strange. And those of you who remember TV trivia, on Gunsmoke, he played the bartender. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Glenn Strange. Oh, man. You you frighten me, Gene. You frighten me. Yeah. All right. We're running out of time here. We need to go to uh, one of our favorite questioners, Marduk who's been quelling chaos in uh, on the planet since uh, 2352 B.C. We haven't seen him out, out of the woodwork here very much lately, but, but you brought him out, John. And he is curious if you have read any of the thousands of letters Lovecraft wrote to other authors as they intentionally co-created the so-called mythos as fiction. Yeah, you know, something, you know, I'm a scholar of Lovecraft, and I, I write not only the books, I've got my second book out now. The, I don't know when they're going to announce that, but I've written various articles, too, about Lovecraft. You have to actually have read every single one of those letters in order to be an appropriate scholar. I've read every single letter. It's wow. five volumes, Arkham House. I've read every one of them. You know, well, so, yeah, you what Marduk is saying is you can actually chart the progression of the Necronomicon as a MacGuffin, for example, where they actually discuss and joke about people believing in their fiction. In this well, way, he, he's wondering, uh, okay, well, let's let's talk about that first. And then he's wondering about, you know, what's the point, basically. The Necronomicon is a fictional document. Lovecraft right. kind of stumbles on by accident. You know, when he was a young kid, he pretended like he was an Arab prince or something like that. He read The Arabian Nights. And he came up with the idea of Abdul Hazret. Abdul Hazret is not phonetically a real name. You know, he just came up with a name. And then he kind of came along with a book of spells. And then it was the Necronomicon. And then he created this kind of pseudo-history of the Necronomicon when it was first uh, compiled and then different translations of it over the years. But it's a fictional book, and they none of them took it seriously. They didn't take the mythos seriously. You know, they all knew it was a fictional book, and Lovecraft liked it if they worked it into their stories. He liked it if they worked in some of his entities, and he would work in their entities too. But it was just a big game. It was a joke. They would trade stories with each other, and, and sometimes he'd do revision works, and he'd put some of his things in. So it was just all fun. It was all just fun and games to them. They weren't trying to actually create anything serious here. In fact, Lovecraft called his work, he didn't call it the Cthulhu Mythos, by the way, he called it Yog Sothery. He said, I wonder if anybody will ever take my Yog Sothery serious. He thought it was funny. You know, the whole thing was humor. Right, it was, it, was, it was kind of like a, you know, a nerdy joke, really, yeah. amongst himself and his his real cutting-edge contemporaries at the time. Yeah, and he, Durlith and he wasn't Robert black. Howard. <laughs> All those crazy guys, Durlith, Robert Howard, Clark Aston Smith, Robert Block was involved in it for a time. It was just a fun game. You know, sometimes they'd visit each other in person, but most of the time it was just all handled with correspondence. And they were having a great old time. That's how Lovecraft was comfortable. He was more comfortable writing letters and dealing with people that way than he was actually face-to-face. That was his preferred method of communication. So he didn't go out there and do book signings? 
No, he didn't do any book no. signs. And he, plus, he thought when he died, he thought it was a complete failure. Okay, he thought it was a complete failure. A lot of his best things had been rejected by Weird Tales. That was his only market. He couldn't get a hardcover book in print. He got a couple stories yeah. that appeared in anthology, but he thought he was a complete failure when he died. He Absolutely. was 47 when he died. Yeah. Yeah, but he, he had gone cancer. downhill uh, for actually quite a bit of time before that. When he turned 40, then things really started to go downhill for him psychologically. He wasn't taking care of himself physically. Yeah. You know, he was uh, relying on canned food and stuff and secondary food. And he'd never made a lot of money, so he would actually pride himself on not spending too much on food. And that kind of contributed to his his bad health, too, and stuff. But he, he thought it was a complete failure. If he could come alive today, he'd be amazed at the stature that he'd achieved. And also, he'd be a little bit richer, too, which would be nice for him, I think. Isn't that strange how many dead people are out there who were authors or painters or in film and music, and after they die, they are discovered. And people make millions of dollars. sold one painting to his brother. Excuse me? (laughs) I know, but you know, some... Oh, yeah. What about Van Gogh? Yeah, Van Gogh. He he only sold one painting uh, during his lifetime, and that was to his brother, uh, who did it basically just so, you know, to kind of, because he felt sorry for for the guy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) At least he sold one. You know, at least he sold one. Like Edgar Allan Poe, he died in pretty uh, horrendous circumstance, too. But at oh, least he'd gotten a little bit of fame. He had a couple books out in the rave and actually got him some fame and a gold bug. You know, so a lot of them had that. But Lovecraft didn't even have that. You know, one of his friends was trying to put together the shadow over Innsmouth in book form. And it just never came together. And, you right. know, Lovecraft. Well, he lived with his mother, didn't he? Or his sister or somebody? Well, his mother died when he was a little bit younger, and what he did was he moved in with his aunts. And his aunts, lost that's the, right. Yeah, I mean, the guy was really on his own. Hey, guys, no, we got to do our break here. Let's do our break and talk more about this. With John Stedman, Gene Steinberg, Chris O'Brien, who has become a strange creature of the night. You're in. America. <laughs> for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive PowerCast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the PowerCast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.thepowercast.com, store.thepowercast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. Stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the PowerCast. You go to store.thepowercast.com. Stop by and take a shopping tour.
Are you looking to become more self-sufficient? Then you need to have your own energy source. The Solark EMP hardened generator is automatic, maintenance-free, and reduces your monthly electric bill. You can also take it off-grid when you go camping. Contact PortableSolarLLC.com or call for details at 972-575-8875 today. Portable Solar LLC gives you everything you need to start using solar energy in less than one hour. Solark EMP hardened solar generator energy insurance for your family or business. Call Portable Solar LLC today. It's called the Deep State. Barack Obama's most loyal aides still hold office, and they want to stop President Trump. Deep State was first revealed in the runaway New York Times bestseller, Big Agenda. David Horowitz's Big Agenda exposes Obama's government in exile and his shocking plan. Newsmax, Lou Dobbs, and Coulter all say you must read Big Agenda at bookstores everywhere. Or check out our free offer. Call 800-NEWSMAX, 800-NEWSMAX, or go to BigAgenda411.com. That's BigAgenda411.com. The answer to being in control of your own health care is freedom from insurance. Become part of a group of self-pay patients that come together to share in each other's medical expenses. Individual share amounts begin at $107 a month and $347 for families. Choose from three health-sharing programs. Holistic treatments may be eligible for sharing. See guidelines. Discount programs available for dental, vision, and pharmacy. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Hi, my name's John Kunkel. I'm 63 years of age. I watched several YouTube videos of Stephen Hewers and learned what supplements might help me with energy and weight loss. I've now been on the Andreas Black Cumin Seed Oil, Synergy One, six other products and Synergistic Nutrition for several weeks now. I've lost 10 pounds. My joint pain has been reduced significantly. I have a lot of energy that I've never had before. My cravings for sweets are gone and I'm rarely hungry. Even my cravings for foods like hamburgers and heavy carbohydrate meals are now gone. This is the only thing that work for me. I was seriously considering bariatric surgery, but that's out the window now. Thank you so much, Synergistic Nutrition. With Synergistic Nutrition, we help you take the guesswork out of supplementation and help you hit the bullseye of success. I encourage you to get specific about your health needs because when you do, your body will celebrate with energy and well-being. Call Synergistic Nutrition today at 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Hi, it's Grant Cameron from PresidentialUFO.com. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. That's Chris. I think he's not vomiting, folks. Don't take that way. No, that was my Cthulhu. <laughs> That's it, right. I wanted to ask you before we get back to John Stedman to wrap things up. You've been a busy bee with OurStrangePlanet.com. And I'm looking at that, and, you know, one day you hadn't touched in a year or so. The next day, there's a volume of new material on there. I kind of forgot how to do WordPress, <laughs> and then I forgot my uh, my administrative keys to get in and stuff. So I, I resolved to get the site up and, and, uh, and functioning again. There's a bunch of uh, new stuff on there. 
Um, so yeah, go to OurStrangePlanet.com. I also have finally come up with an e-version of my very first book, The Mysterious Valley. Um, there's a nice e-version that has uh, some bonus material, a really good 3D map of all our event uh, activity in the greater San Luis Valley. Uh, there's the entire database, report after report after report, for the time period um, up to the publishing of the book in 96. Um, so there's a bunch of good stuff in there. And uh, if you go to Our Strange Planet, um, you can pick one up there. I can go ahead and shoot it off to you. Or you can go to Amazon, uh, The Mysterious Valley, e-version. This is OurStrangePlanet.com. So once again, that's OurStrangePlanet.com. OurStrangePlanet.com. All the new stuff from Chris O'Brien. So check it out. Great stuff. John, you check it out too. I'm going to give you... Uh, okay. I'm going to give you homework. I sure will. I'm going to give you homework right now. You're a teacher and you know about giving people homework. So I will give you homework right now. Check out OurStrangePlanet.com. Chris, do we have any more questions before we wrap up for today? It's <laughs> it's not really more a question. It's It's kind of a... A joke from Marduk again. He says, oh, another thought. If the Philip experiment, which you're going to have to remind everybody what that is when I'm done with the question here. If the Philip experiment is replicable and demonstrated the creation of a paranormal creature, perhaps this is a way of creating a real-life manifestation of the dreaded Cthulhu. I'm a giant Lovecraft fan, and as cool as that sounds, I think that would be a bad idea. You want my comment? I don't think it's bad. Let's see what happens. You should do that. <laughs> do I have a minute to plug some stuff? Just plug a couple things? Let me just turn on the electricity so you can plug yourself in and get zapped. Let's, <laughs> okay. Okay, you got two minutes to plug. Have, go ahead. Okay, people should go to my website, johnlsteven.com. They'll tell about all my events, but I got a couple of events coming up. Just the Carnival of Power Horror in uh, Buffalo, New York, August 26th to 27th. I'm going to do a presentation there and then do a book sign. And then a Scarefest convention, Lexington, Kentucky, September 30th to October 1st. And I'm going to do a presentation and book sign there, too. People can always reach me on Facebook, by the way. So some of these people, like Red and some of the other people, if they want to contact me on Facebook, have them uh, hook up with me, and I'll friend them or do whatever it takes to get them in there. And then if they want to talk at length on any of the things that we talked about, I'll be glad to do that. You know, So I love talking about this stuff. We're not even going to charge you for this, okay? Well, I would say, too, to, to uh, John, to come to our forum, and there's going to be a thread about the show, which will go off into the dozens and dozens of, um, of responses, I'm sure. And so it would be great to have you involved in that discussion as well. Okay, wh- when does that happen? The show goes live on the morning of Sunday, March 26th. And it's heard on the 32 March- stations carried by the GCN network. After that, it goes up on iTunes and spread around the world is available from our site. At that point, we post a thread in our forums at forum.theparacast.com. And that's where listeners can comment about the show. They can ask questions. And you'll see if you look at the forum, quite often authors drop in there. In fact, for those of you who are wondering, we got a really great thread right now featuring arch UFO skeptic Jim Oberg. And he's been extremely, extremely active in our forums, neighbors. So you want to check that out. So, yeah, John, you'll want to do that. I'm writing this down now. The forum will start like after the 26th, right? Right. Well, I send you the link to the show and I'll email it to you. 
at that point, you can go to the forum, and there'll be a place there where you can see people okay, talk about it. Okay, give me all the instructions about when you email me, okay, so that I can get to it. And uh, I'll be glad to take part in that. I'd like to continue my discussion on some of these issues, and I'd like to talk more at length than some of these people. They really want some information here, and I would be very happy to help them out with that. Let me ask you, because we only have a couple of minutes left before we wrap things up. Today, people looking at all this, we're talking about a writer who lived and died decades ago. What can people starting out today, what should they know, what can they learn about H.P. Lovecraft to come to appreciate his work? Well, I always tell people, go right to the primary sources, like a scholar would, you know. Pick up a copy of Lovecraft's works. Probably one of the best one would be the Library of America hardcover edition Lovecraft Tales. That's a good place to start out. I wouldn't just start out with Cthulhu Mythos fiction because it's very uneven. I mean, they have a lot of it. S.T. Josie keeps, it seems like every month he's publishing a new anthology or something, so a lot of people write this stuff. But I say go to the source. I've read a lot of the Cthulhu Mythos fiction, and it doesn't even come close to what Lovecraft himself could do, you know. So they should read the actual source documents. And then if they want to get into occult practices, they should kind of pick up a copy of my book. You know, give them a good overview of the kind of magical systems there in operation today that actually do deal with Lovecraft's fictional construct and as mythologies, and then those constant in those books. And if you read all that stuff from uh, Magic and Theory and Practice, if you read all that stuff, then you'll kind of find your way. That's good, all good source document. Waiting for you, Chris. Oh, you are? (laughs) 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 I was waiting for you. Um, Well, that sounds good, John. And and thank you so much for kind of cracking the the egg on this particular topic here uh, at the Paracast. We don't do shows like this uh, very often, and it's it's always fun to have someone that's as well-researched and well-read as you to talk well, uh, about. I appreciate you guys putting up with me, putting up with all my Skype issues, too, and stuff. But I think it'll be a really good show, and I'm going to drop into that form. But I really got to thank you guys, you know, for uh, having me be a guest on this show. It's been quite a lot of fun. You guys really know how to have fun. I've done a lot of these kind of uh, radio or podcast things, and you guys have got to be among the top of people just having a, just a good time. That's well, what thank you. <laughs> we appreciate that. We try to. It's uh, the truth. It's, it's entertainment, truth. but we're we're deadly serious about the the quality of education that we we're hoping that our listenership is is getting. We uh, we pride ourselves on our um, motto of separating signal from noise. Okay. We try to do things differently that, than a lot of people here. That's why this show obviously gets a different kind of reaction. So, for example, we will often bring on a guest, and if they're obviously playing games with us and we think they don't know what they're talking about or they give explanations of what they do that comes across as gibberish or word salad if we find that we will oh yeah call them call out, them out on their word salad oh yeah oh yeah extraordinary claims require at least a little bit of evidence <laughs> and some common sense we can dig that too okay once again for people who want to know more about what you do john stedman your last time at the bat on this episode where do they check you out? Well, they check me out at my website, www.johnlstedman.com. They can check me out on Facebook and Twitter. I have a blog, too. 
you know, so they can check out the blogs. I usually put all my events in the blogs, but I like the Facebook thing because I'm not just promoting myself on the blog, but I'll put links to different things like publications that I do. I do a lot of little publications uh, in addition to the book and things that I create, you know, and sometimes I just have postings. I'll find a weird picture and I'll comment on it. It's usually got some words of wisdom or insight in it. So I have a lot of fun on Facebook. So if people want to get me on Facebook, you know, that's probably a smart way of doing it. You'll have links to everything that I do on there. So I, I guess those are the easiest ways. You can find us on Twitter, by the way. Look for the Paracast on Twitter. Look for two Paracast fan clubs, a community and a group. I figured it out on Facebook. You're the gold standard of paranormal shows, right? Is that what you call yourself, the gold standard? I love that. One of our listeners called us that, and we just picked up on it. You can also find Chris's work at OurStrangePlanet.com. You can also order his books from there. You can find us also if you check out plus.thepowercast.com, where we offer you the Powercast Plus. And the Powercast Plus is a subscription service that consists of the After the Powercast podcast, a commercial-free version of this show, classic episodes coming, content from Paul Kimball and more. That's the Paracast Plus starting at $1.49 a week. Learn more at plus, P-L-U-S dot, theparacast.com. John Stedman, thanks for joining us on the Paracast. And gentlemen, thank you. It's been really a pleasure. Featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.